CabanaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to FaceToFaceGames.com. All right, so should we call this episode Forgiven with like a 6 instead of a G? <laughs> or um, I'm Coming Home, like the song, or no, maybe have them change should, the that music? Actually, that actually song is not allowed to be used by anyone ever again. It's yeah. done. It's actually reached its capacity. Much, Who sings that song? I don't know. Much, much like the chocolate cookie I ate into extinction that I just meteorited inside of Joe a few minutes ago. You were like a, a dinosaur-killing cookie-eater. Yeah, that, that that song no longer exists. It has been it was actually played into oblivion uh, during the whole brouhaha over LeBron James' return. Who? <laughs> I'm sorry, were you, were you talking about some... What is this, like a foosball player? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I am going to so attempt to periodically steer you back by the way, to a little bit of magic talk. So why don't we do this? Why don't we talk about the Hall of Fame? But when are those due? I didn't send mine in yet. I mean, they're due like, you know, Monday or something. I'll send mine in. Mm. So you tell me um, if I should vote for one, two, three, four, or five magicians based on, based on, um, I'll tell you which ones I'm, I'm considering voting for in order. So, uh, persons at home will give you some hints and then uh, what should we say, Hundrug? And then, like, at, at the point that we say Hundrug, you have to pause and then write down your potential answers, take a picture with your smartphone, and then post them in the comments. You, you don't have to do that. You, you do, you do. And then people who do that will be eligible for a prize. No? Sure. All right, so when we say Hundrug, you pause and take a picture, and on, it's honor system. It's honor system. Okay. Um... Of my ballot, I have a player whose number one... So I have, a, I have an ordered ballot. One, two, three, four, five. My number one, Brian would not consider voting for. And my number four... I mean, my number one, I'm... I, I, no, so the number one on your ballot yeah. is the reason my ballot is not turned in yet. Okay. So Because I'm really, I'm really conflicted about this. Brian might not vote for my number one. Uh, but my number one is my number one. Um, and then my number four... I might be the only person who votes for that person, but Brian doesn't think I'll be the only. Person. I don't. I don't. I think you're far from the only person. All right. So, um, I mean, I think it's a very defensible. Okay. It's a very defensible pick. All right. So, Hundrug, write it down and then take a picture and then post it on the internet. We didn't even give them any hints or clues. That's clues. Okay, but Those are the, you don't think that's two, enough clues for two people out of the five? That you might <laughs> I don't know. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so the big, the big, the big discussion here is Gil Mafatafa, right? Well, I mean, what if they hadn't finished taking a picture of their they writing down? They paused. Oh, okay. Unhundrug. Okay. They didn't hear that. Oh, They're man. still on pause. <laughs> how, many pa- how many pauses does a hundrug have? I don't know. Is that like four sets of pause? Is it like Rorik's Well, you're going ru- to ruin the title to four sets of pause now. <laughs> He's like Rorik's had two sets of wings. Yes. I used to just say so much nonsense at Magic. <laughs> so just like make things up and be like, he has two sets of wings. So we'll we'll just say that Hundrug has four sets of pause because that's yeah. how many times you had to pause. Okay, so uh, yeah, um, so I have an ordered ballot. So Brian will vote for how many people I vote for, and then that's how many I'll vote for because they're in order. Okay, so my number one person is Guillaume Wafatapa, and Brian maybe will vote for him. I mean, I so like I, I try to have a 
line where I don't, I'm not going to vote for someone who was suspended. And I realize this is complicated, a complicated topic. And that Guillaume Afatapa's suspension in particular is very different than, say, Tomohara Saito's uh, suspension. At what point can I vote for Saito? I'm not voting for him this year, but I... I mean, I don't know. I mean, some people have suggested when he puts up a halt... That was a treat. <laughs> when it was he... like a candy bar. <laughs> he said when... It was sweet. <laughs> Get it? It was a yeah. treat, yeah. When, uh, when Saito puts up results worthy Yoga of a Hall pants, of Fame... No shirt. <laughs> no shirt at all. People have suggested that Saito Saito would have to put up a Hall of Fame, uh, a whole worth, extra a Hall career, of Fame career post suspension. After which suspension? Well, I, I mean that's that's also an issue. I I I really like Tomar Saito. I have a ton of respect for his deck building ability. Yeah, I mean we've talked about so it disruptive. endlessly on the on the podcast and for elsewhere. years and years. Uh, but I don't, you know, I just don't see myself being able to vote for him. Uh, At least like, not this year, right? No, I don't. I don't. See, I don't see myself ever voting for him. I mean, it's you know multiple suspensions. I, I believe and, I voted for him originally in 2010 and then rescinded my vote. Is that what I did? I think so. Yeah, I did that. And then I, I changed so. it. Did I change it to? Um, I changed it to some Euro who just doesn't go to Pro Tours. I, I think I voted for Anton. I wouldn't originally vote for Anton. I switched to Anton. Does that sound like I, what I did? That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, Anton's just, a, I mean, you know, doesn't go to any Pro Tours. Doesn't go to any Pro Tours. I mean, it's not the goal of the Pulitzer Hall of Fame is not just to get people back to Pro Tours. Work for John. <laughs> it's really good for John. Been I don't really know to good. Tell you. Really good for Huey. Um, yeah, I mean, but is it really like Huey top eights every Grand Prix? He, he would have been fine <laughs> getting back on the Pro Tour. Yeah, I, like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know that he would have had the fire. He makes top eight of every Grand Prix. I, I every oh, was there a Grand Prix? No. Well, oh. well, he, he, set, the, and seven he set the record. He broke the record for most Grand, Grand Prix top eights in one in one season. This year. This year, yeah. He has eight. The previous record was seven, set by Owen when he was Player of the Year. And the pre record previous to that was six, which was I know by Kai and may have been someone else so, as well. Um, John John had an interview that came out today, and he said that it's more likely that Huey, Owen, or Reed will break out to be the clear number one best player of all time than Kai or John definitively uh, definitively breaks away from the other. Isn't that interesting? It's like one of those three is more likely wow. to be the number one, like the just the runaway number one. Like better than either of them? Be better than either John or Kai. I didn't read Kai. that interview. Yeah. That's fascinating. Than either John or Kai being good enough to make the other one the clear number two. Who did that interview? Pierre Canale. Did he really? Yeah. And I actually felt bad because, like, John was talking about who his, like, best friends in Magic are, and then the last thing he said was, like, it's like, of my non... of the people who I don't work with, the Magic player I hang out with most is Daniel OMS. And I was just like, man, I've skipped too many movie clubs. <laughs> just, I show up, like, a third of the time now, half the time. No, just, you know, two years ago, I would have been neck and neck there. Make it that interview. I'll have to read that. Yeah, so isn't that awesome, right? He's that like, is. And he literally said Huey, Owen, who are all three of his teammates, right? Right. right. So, and for those of you who don't know, that's the that's the Peach Garden oath. Peach Garden, the swearers of oaths. Yeah, they're uh, they're like some weird pre-man religion. Well, I mean, so I mean, both Owen and Reed are qualified or virtually qualified for the world championship this year, the 24-person, you know, world championship. 
And, like, there's a very good chance... Huey makes it, too. ...that Huey makes it as well. I mean, he's, like, four points off of the last at-large bid right now. And, like, a top 25 or a top 50, you know, might... A top 50 might get him there. A top 25 almost certainly gets him there. Which is insane. So, like what I was saying, I don't think the Hall of Fame has... Yeah, well, but I'm... It's just a monster. It, it, he's a monster, but I think... I mean, he was always a monster, right? right? But the, the catalyst for him going... Even last year when he started to show this at the end of last season, I think the catalyst for all this was certainly the Hall of Fame. Was it only last year that we voted him in? Yeah, he's only I been... I almost this... remember. It was only been a year ago. I was, like, I was at a party, like, upstairs of a party by myself, and I get cornered by Huey and Luis. They're like, who are you voting for? And I said, both of you. And then Ben walks up the stairs. They're like... Are you sure that's your answer? It was like a real thing that happened. That's right. Like, funny. Yeah. They're like, you're voting for Ben. And I'm like, look, guys, I'm definitely voting for you, too. But I really don't feel like... <laughs> they're like, you're... Ben didn't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, you're voting for Ben. <laughs> I ended up voting for Ben. It's um, a very defensible pick. But I, uh, it, so Patrick said that uh, I didn't have it in my range to not vote for five, and I only voted for those three, I think, last year. Is that right? Yeah. I would have voted for Efro fourth last year. Yeah, I feel I feel like everyone's like got a little bit of a a hard on to to not use their five votes, you know, to be more like John. And I I just I I don't I don't I I feel that there are more than enough deserving candidates each year. I I don't have the same like before I forget that girl was like a movie star. She, she was did. so pretty. She, she was did. like a fairy queen. And a movie star, and a she might have been a fairy queen and a movie star. Yes. Wow. Yes, we she's tr- in, she's enchanted us, so we don't remember her movies. Truly, we live in a magical place here on Waverly and Gay. Um, but the other girl with yoga pants and no shirt—that was that. That's a it's a new it's a new thing, new feature. <laughs> July twenty fourteen, new feature of the Top Eight Magic Podcast in audio. <laughs> Da-da-da. Romantic comedy starring hook hands and yoga pants. <laughs> hook hands and yoga. Now hook hands and yoga pants is the title. <laughs> All right, so, um, yeah, so uh, yeah, but every year prior to that, I've been so hard about five every year, five yeah. every year. You know. I mean, I certainly have more than five people that I would like to vote for this year. I mean, like, I'm, I'm actually surprised. Like two, three years ago, I I never have cast a vote for either Herbert Holtz or Osip. And I just assumed they were going to be on my ballots when they right. when they got on the ballot. You know, like, right. good friends of mine, both. Pro Tour champions, both. Great deck designers, both. Yeah. And they've just... I mean, I guess I had two spare votes last year. I didn't use any either one of them. <laughs> the, 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 pool, the pool of people that you could vote for, I think, is easily 10 deep this year. So, your number one vote, I assume, is Paul. <laughs> I actually have Mahara over Paul. Crazy. Uh, what if Paul had won that Grand Prix that he while well, he was winning that Pro Tour? Yeah, well, I mean that's that that. That's, oh, he didn't even win that Pro Tour though. Right? Yeah, he didn't. If but, he had won both of them, yeah, who would have I mean, voted for him? I mean, Paul, it's it's really close. I mean, Mahara just I have a little bit of an emphasis on my ballot this year of non-North Americans. I mean, why does it matter? It doesn't matter. It, it's. I mean, uh, did Patrick show there is actually not a North American bias even amongst North American voters? Matter, not there's a, only a European it's not bias. A matter of that. It's, Statistically, there's only a European bias. Uh, I think maybe there's been a North American bias in my voting. But, there's, but we know more North American players, and there have been more good North American players. That's the thing. 
Sure. It's, it's hard to say when you only have like maximum five votes and there's hundreds of Pro Tour players, right? Right. The pool is pretty small this year. But I, I, I think that there are, my, my, when I say, when I talk about sort of broadening my, my vote, I'm ta also talking about people, I, 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 I know people just dismiss the notion that somehow community contribution is a part of the Hall, Hall of Fame uh, criteria. And people are like, well, I don't put any better. Player you know, committee, maybe, but I don't think that that's... I mean, I, mean, I understand just, there's only one committee now, but... It, it's it's just it's just ludicrous to not count that. That's, I have never heard that come from someone who was not player committee. Correct. Right. Never one time. I mean, that's, I think that would probably be a very John kind of component, like where he just, in his mind, the Hall of Fame should be this just... Great player. Paragon of just pure statistical excellence. That's uh, a Hall of Fame. It's know. a Hall of Fame, right? Uh, but, but I mean, for me, uh, you know, again, Will, Willie Adel's community building with South American players, you know, getting getting people uh, prepared for pro tours, um, you know, just I mean, I didn't vote for Raf Levy the year he was inducted, uh, and you know, in the years since, like his just leadership in the French Magic community has been so important that that I. I you know, maybe see that maybe that was a missed vote on my part. Really? I no. Two no. Pro Tour top eights? Sure. I mean and look at the competition in years one yeah, and two, yeah, whatever. Yeah. That was not a missed vote. I can tell I'm like I'm not I, I would have I would have voted for I think I feel like I would have voted for him somewhere in there after that. I, it was not a missed vote. Yeah, I, yeah. I can assure yeah, you yeah. that's the case. Like the uh, I'm Mahara Mahara is someone and you know, I Kate is someone who I also have in my mix and you know people want to sort of diminish you know his results because he's played in so many pro tours and uh you know I mean but did you vote for Bram as well I did not vote for Bram and I that's that's probably a better example of where I've I mean it's alright we change away. over yeah. time yeah. you can choose to I didn't change your criteria I didn't vote for Pakula every year I, you know, I voted the for only Pakula. year I didn't vote for Pakula was year one which is the year that you know same with you, right? Any, any number of people could have gotten him in, and it's a, it's a crying shame. Like John. <laughs> yes. So, um, that was crazy, though. Owen Reed or Huey's going to eclipse yeah. John or John yeah, yeah. or Ty before the... He's not saying that one they of them will. will. He's saying it's just more He's saying likely. that it's more likely one of them will than, 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 than Ty, or, will. Ty or John will pull away yeah. from the other one. Um, but, uh, anywho, so... Your number one is Mihara. Yes. Your number two world, is... World champion, uh, five-time Japanese national top eight. So, so, I mean, I just want to asterisk Mihara for a second. Obviously, he's... World team champion. Obviously, he's a talented... I mean, world team champion isn't something that a lot of the players really tout, right? I, they don't all have it, right? That's, sure, no, so, they don't. So, I mean, I it's, it's part but, of the package to me. So, um... But, like... Mihara won that Worlds. I mean, so you were calling Mihara's Worlds, right? Yeah. When you, so, would you describe his Worlds run in top eight as dominant? He's quite fortunate in in many circumstances, to a degree that I mean, other world champions have not been. Sure. I mean, that's true of anyone who... I mean, That's not true of anyone who's... Would you say that Jeffrey Sorone's win was, was fortunate in any way? Well, yeah, it was fortunate that no one else drafted red. I mean... <laughs> Like I, I mean, I mean, Andre Koibra lost two games in the top eight, he's, right? Like he's he's fortunate that Masashi Oiso just didn't realize what he should have been doing in that draft. I mean, like 
like I don't understand. Like, Why aren't you red? Like if I recall, Coimbra lost two games to only to Bram Snapmangers and three owed all of his other opponents. Yeah, right? I think so. That sounds about right. Like and the, the Bram games were close. Like Bram top decked off of a sure. Look, uh, but I'm just saying like. You know, another Hall of Famer just doesn't brain fart for a second. Sure. Miara's not even the world champion. That's the, sure. that's a that's sure. a true statement, sure. right? Uh, absolutely. I I, ha- I have I have Mahara and Ritzel one two by by a hair. So I, and for me and for me the uh, team champion has a lot to do with it, the Japanese. You didn't vote for five last year. Pretty sure I did. Did you? I didn't. So why why is Paul such a lock this year when I didn't even vote for him last year and I've been talking about voting? But he's for gotten him another ever top since. eight since then. Yeah, like the black white top eight. I, it doesn't. It actually means nothing to me. It's just like Kibler's pro tour one means nothing to me. Like I was gonna vote for him anyway. Sure. I don't know. I just don't, I'm just saying personally. I don't know why I didn't vote for Paul last year. That's the thing. Like it just literally means nothing for me. Sure. I think that like the net sum top eights is such a deceptive stat. If some sure. people play in a lot of pro tours, they're gonna have more top eights than people who play in fewer pro tours, right? If you play in say 15 pro tours, the expectation of you having five top eights uh, there, is absurd. And there's there's clearly some sliding door universe where Shota Yasuoka has like seven top yeah, eights. Yeah, 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 right? But <laughs> in the real universe, <laughs> he has the one. He has a consolation top eight, okay? True? What do you mean a consolation top eight? Not even his. He was playing with Saito and Kachi. <laughs> it's not, that's like, that's like, yes, Gary Wise is a pro tour champion. Yeah, oh, sure. Okay, do you see what I'm saying? Ka- Kaji's like the player of the year maker. He, both those guys became player of the year playing with him. I'm just saying. By the way, Kaji's numbers, when you look at them, are not, he, he's kind of a overlook. He doesn't have enough. He doesn't uh, have enough tonnage uh, of stats. Enough tonnage of stats, but his stats are good. I like Kaji's a good player. Um, One of my favorites, actually. But, uh. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. You vote for Yasso? I want to vote for Yasso. I can't. I can't. I want to vote for Yasso every year too. I can't. I can't. I, Here's I, the Japanese Mikey P. I I have. I value top eights. I do. I, I, I know. I know. It's you know very. I, it feels it feels very old school and anti saber metric to I, I, say I I value the top eights, but the top eights are I mean, important. Like, to but me. I value top eights. Too. I think I think a lot of these things could be leading indicators, but none of them are just like this strict thing. Yeah. Right. Like. Just call a spade a spade, right? If you ever talk to like a quote modern a modern Pro Tour Magic player, right? He's like somebody who came out over the last five to ten years. Yeah. And you try to talk to them about how the Hall of Fame stats, the Hall of Famer stats are so good relative to everyone else, and they start telling you how unimpressed they are playing with old school Hall of Famers. They're talking about Darwin, right? Like, I mean, it's true. Or they're like, oh, I've played against Hall of Famers. <laughs> Was not impressed. You know, like that's literally I've heard that from from multiple. You know, well, you can also you rookie can also, of the year type players in the last couple sure. of years. You can also get a Hall of Famer playing their first pro tour back or early in their, or they playing in one. You know, they're like, oh, I'm going to go play in a pro tour. You know, and I don't have time to. I mean, cer- certainly, certainly, Bobby Robert, coming back is still like he just doesn't play right. Bobby could be challenging for top sixteen any any pro tour he wants. Sure, but but by Bob's own admission. You know, at the he's last running a business, you know. He, right, he played, you know, he's like, you know, sh- you know, we'll show you a deck, and he'll be like, you know, this is the worst deck I've ever drafted. I didn't play super. And... I mean, like, Zvi's first there year. There could be people out there who are under the impression that somehow Bob is a soft matchup based on, like, his last pro I mean, like, Zvi's first year, as I recall, Zvi's first year back from the Hall of Fame, his his average finish was between, was, was I think his average finish was 24. 
for two yeah, years yeah, yeah. or something. Like, and he only did in top eight because he conceded to somebody who had his deck because he did the breakers wrong. Yeah. Oh. Right. The, in San Juan, he would have been top eight if he didn't concede in the last round, Correct. right? Correct. Because he just. And he got, ben, he got Ben, ben Hayes' top eight, I think, right? Professional statistician Zvi Moshwitz got the breakers wrong. Then after he conceded, he's like, oh, wait, I would have been top eight. <laughs> so instead he got a 32 yeah. instead of a top eight there. And like that was, like, I'm just saying, you know, yeah. there's a lot of Hall of Famers. Uh, Kai's first top, isn't Kai's first Pro Tour back? He just top eighted in something like, I, I don't, like I don't, this. I don't, I don't remember the exact, uh, I don't think so. I think he played a couple back. But Hall of Famers, on average, are the are by far the best cohort in in Pro Tour performance. Yeah, right? I mean they, they they I mean they also tend to have the best. That wasn't always true. There wasn't always the pantheon. Sure. Even before the pantheon. Sure. Hall of Famers were the best, which is not surprising, right? right? So, but I mean, I'm it's just saying just, they've always had good resources. They're just sure. clearly statistically better than PTQ winners and, oh, Pro, Tour, and I mean, they, Pro Tour point holders. They know, they clearly know how to. How about this? Not even just talking about team access. They just know how to prepare for a Pro Tour. If they decide that they're going to go and they're taking it seriously. Yeah, you know, I, I did I did stats on this. I, I don't remember the exact stats, but you remember people were, like, knocking on Planeswalker points? PTQ winners finished way worse than the average Planeswalker point winner. Way yeah. worse. PTQ winners are always the worst group. Um, oh, interesting. That's statistically, funny. they're awful compared to... They're, like... I think their average finish is something, like, 15 lower than the average the average uh, Planeswalker points winner. The, the only thing is, like... Pro Tours reward a small number of players so disproportionately in terms of money. The problem is if a PTQ winner wins wins the Pro Tour, you know, in the rare case that happens, it throws off the average money finish right, by right, a right, mile, right? right, right? right so, right. but like on the average Pro Tour, they're by far the worst. Hall of Famers are like, their median finish is like 11. It's, it's, it's absurd. Uh, and then, <laughs> that's obviously not true. It's not 11. Yeah. But they're, uh, I think the Hall of Famers average uh, is in the money, right? It's like, Top 64-ish, I, I, yeah, which is substantially better than everybody else. The PTV winners, their average finish is like 200, which is bad if there's only 200 players. Well, it's about 300 players, but yeah. But their average finish is out of the money. Uh, used to be Planeswalker points players. Were, oh, they were actually okay, right? They were like 96 or something. Sure. Well, then, I mean, the, play, the Planeswalker points players were people who were also just grinding a lot of Magic the Gathering, yeah. yeah. Is there yeah. cube right now? I don't know. I feel like there is because I've been looking at there Facebook. Is, there is. And I'm just like, wait, if I just really not turn on the stupid beta so there, I can there, there is Q, but there's, <laughs> there's, uh, there's a new client. I, that's really, I have not, <laughs> I haven't played since the sunset, so. But I guess, I'll probably play tonight. I didn't realize there was, and it's Powered Cube, right? It is Powered Cube. Still draft the red deck. Yeah. I might have a Mox. <laughs> so, so, by the way, just speaking of Powered Cube, they, they announced. I'm not tonight the formats for the world championship and the first draft yeah, is, is going to be IRL Vintage Masters yeah yeah they're going to I guess packs. I guess they're going to make packs following the you know probably just randomly generate the moto packs that would be in the draft yeah Slot, stock them with cards oh my gosh John and Tom <laughs> those guys love Vintage Masters I mean a lot of people love Vintage Masters to be fair I love Vintage Masters so okay so you have Mihara first. I, I have Mihara re retail first, second. It's well, let's just make it easy. Sure. Okay. You have Mihara first. first. I have Wafo first. We both have Paul second. Who do you have third? Uh, I have. Mihara, Ritzel. Um, jeez. 
You're, uh, you're, you're voting for two people? No. No, 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 that's not true. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying I'll to, tell you why. I don't, know who I, I don't have remember. an order. Go ahead. Tell me who you have. So my third is Eric Frohle. Okay. A defensible, an excellent pick, actually. I almost I voted for him last year. Yeah, he's very, he's very close. I mean, he didn't do anything in the last year that actually make you right. vote for him this year rather than last year. So I feel a little two-faced voting for him this year than when I didn't vote for him. I really almost asked Greg for my ballot back so I could vote for Efro last year, and yeah. I, I ultimately didn't. Because I almost didn't even vote for Ben, okay? Right, like, right. I really was just like, and, and it, this is so normative, it's like so not like me in, in, right, in right. general terms, but I was just like, Huey and LSV are so much better than the rest of this class. I just wanted for this one year to recognize the fact that these two guys are a cut above everybody else. Sure. And you're talking about, and Paul's top eight was irrelevant for me in terms of wanting to vote right. for him. Like, I literally had to ask myself, oh, why am I voting for Paul for this year? so high and I didn't vote for him last year or previous years I'm like oh yeah he had a top 8 I don't even care it's, right. a, it's literally irrelevant for me sure. it's more relevant for me that Patrick was ninth in that pro tour with the same deck right, right? Um, not that that matters like Patrick, oh. had, Patrick had a pretty good follow up with yeah. Temple of Silence yeah. <laughs> Temple of Silence and him ended up getting along fine Yeah. Um, but uh, you know so I, I have Efro third do you, do you remember who you have third yet uh, I mean, it's, it's not, I guess it's not, I don't have, I don't, the, the issue for me is that I don't have everybody ordered, and yeah. I don't want to, I don't really want to put it in order. I have, uh, I have Willie Adel. Okay. Uh, on my ballot. Yeah, he's not close for me. I know he's not close, and he's not, and, and it, it seems to be a divisive issue. Uh, I don't the, hate you. No, no, no. He's not close okay. for me. Um, you know, I, I, I understand that his statistics are, um, he, he falls a little short on some of the metrics, but. Uh, you know, the community is, for me, a, 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 huge, a huge push down. For me, he falls short on any of the metrics that I've historically voted for. That I've historically voted for Pro Tour Hall of Fame players since maybe my first couple of battles. Like, you know, I you know, I, I think that my early votes <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking back sure. then. But, uh, you know, some of them were, were a lot better than others. So I, what I tried to do with my early ballots was, like, represent my imagination of what the Pro Tour looked like during this time period. Sure. Right, which is maybe wrong, but I'd be like, oh, I'm going to vote for this. I'm going to vote for Hovey and Ole because they were, their geographic region, or like, sure. well, I have to vote, for, I'm going to vote for some year move, and I ultimately, you know, I voted for year move games, guys, I, I voted for Humphreys, you know, etc. And I'm just like, oh, well, this is a representation of the teams that were doing well. Sure. And I was just like, that doesn't seem like a, that doesn't seem like a bad ballot. And that, no, it's not bad, but it's just like, do you, it's clearly punishing players who are probably better than players who I voted for. I think I voted for Hammer in the first year because he top eight of the first two pro tours. I'm like, well, this is what domination of the pro tour looked like in the first year. Sure. That's what I wanted to recreate with my ballot. Sure. It, you know, kind of like, let's tell a story together. And, you know, I didn't vote for Comer. <laughs> you know, I did, you know. The, right. All, and then there, and I, I feel like those were ultimately miscast ballots because sure. of that. And there was a paradigm behind it, right? It wasn't. Right. Well, it was, I mean, for, for me, my first ballot, I think, it was all people who had minimum five Pro Tour top eights. Your first ballot? Yeah. They didn't all have. Really? Everyone on my ballot had five Pro Tour top eights minimum. Wow. Um, but as, as a result, there were some, you know, more. I voted for Rob at some point. Did I, I put, did Rob make it in the first year? Uh, Rob made it first year. Humphreys made it second. Yeah, year, so right? I didn't vote for Rob or Darwin because they both made it in the first year, right? Yeah. And I voted for Humphreys for your yeah. So let's call a spade a spade. Humphreys is way better than Robin and 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 Castle on the table. Sure. Right. Like Rob was Rob was good. 
So, so Humphreys was the best player for a while. Young young player in New England. Yeah. Qualifies for a first pro tour in Rome. He looks for someone to emulate <laughs> and to follow. You know, he, he, he emulates Humphreys. That player is, by the way, William Jensen. <laughs> I knew what player you were talking about. I mean, I remember William Jensen from, like, you know. Yeah. He was a... Playing the Northeast, playing yeah. in the New York and Boston Some area. Some surly TJ's kid. He was always nice to me. <laughs> From the start, he was nice to me. He taught me how to draft on the yeah. plane once. Yeah. No, I, uh, I actually, I actually got to spend some time with him. It was him, Dave Williams, and Daniel Omahoney Schwartz. They, play, they played teams together. They played teams in Con, and they. Uh, Did you play teams that one? I played teams Monkey that Dog. One. Yeah. Monkey Dog. Yeah, we. We, uh, we conceded to them in the last round because we couldn't make top four, and they could. But, uh, you know, did a lot of team drafts. With them. I, like, a lot of my success in three-man teams, which is where I've won basically all the money I've ever won playing Magic, is really Iota Jensen, you know, just like, you know, basically mauling us in draft for three or four consecutive nights. Greatest limited player of all time? It used to be Mike Turian for sure, right? Yeah. But um, it's like Steve O'Mahony Schwartz, Mike Turian. You think? I think. I think it's tough to argue against Jensen. Like he, he's between him and Ben, right? They're both just widely considered yeah. in some order one, two, the best limited players alive right now. Yeah. And both of them, and Billy has been dominant over the last year. Yes. It's just utterly, utterly dominant, right? You can't. Nobody, nobody's had a grand year, grand prix year like this ever. Right. But I don't know why he keeps playing. They capped his Grand Prix. That's the... I I think he wanted he wanted bragging rights on but he Owen. He can't improve, right? He wanted bragging rights on Owen. <laughs> they like a, he could improve. They have like a weird religion. The, the he could have improved. I mean, he could, how he, he could to... win one. He could get a point for winning. <laughs> I think he actually gets a point for top four. I, I, yeah, I don't know. This is unreal. I mean, it's like. Best five votes I ever get. There's some there's some small chance that he'll be in the in Boston this weekend playing. Yeah. I don't I don't think so, but there's some small chance. He lives near there once yeah. upon a time. He could use the extra points. For what? If he if he could well, I mean he would have to win. But uh whatever. I mean he's 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 in the mix of those at large bids. He's he's four points off the lead. Or or off, off the, the off the berth. For for a berth. So um so you have Willie Adel there, so I have a I have Efro. Then you want to talk? You you have a fourth you want to talk about? Um, I have uh, I have right now I have Ikeda. Yeah, I don't know. I just I'm just not a huge fan of the lifetime achievement vote. It's not it's not just a lifetime achievement vote. It's a community vote. It's you could be voting for Shout in the same way. I could, I could, but but Shout Shout is. A man unto himself. He he kind of doesn't he doesn't he, he doesn't commune. <laughs> where where Ikeda has actually been impacted. Do you remember do you remember the Gob Vantage deck? Which was the, the predecessor of you know the, the Dirty the, Kitty. A predecessor of Dirty Kitty. That was that was actually Siyoshi Ikeda and his team and his shop. And like he's just he's just done a ton for does the your, game. Does your voting so how much it, I actually used to care about this. But, a by lot. the way, my votes are, are far from final. So, I, I I will finalize them this weekend. My number four vote is actually kind of like a, a clarion call to votes that I've cast in the past, which is like, I feel like I want to cast a vote for a particular player because I want to make a statement, especially sure. for if people don't know who that player is. Like I voted, I voted for Brian Hacker every single year sure. that they let me vote for Brian Hacker, 
And I still think Brian Hacker is more deserving than most of the players. Yeah, maybe than most of the players in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. If you want to talk about community contributions, I don't think most of these guys have anything on Brian Hacker. Sure. And, yeah, I, I understand that. I mean, in terms of a dangerous player on the table, you ask other Pro Tour players of the era who they didn't want to sit against, half the guys in the Hall of Fame are Brian Hacker. They would have picked... I mean, Hacker was terrified. Right. Right? Yeah. Well, he, he knew how to draft while people were still... You know, it's like, you know, the, the, the scene in every military movie where, like, all the recruits are fumbling with their guns. They've got to, like, field strip their guns yeah. and reassemble them. And everyone's still fumbling with the pieces. And one guy's just, like, standing at attention with his gun completely stripped and rebuilt. Yeah. That's That was hacker drafting at that point in the history of And magic. he was just, like, a cool guy. Like, the the thing is, like, when I was a kid and it was, like, 15 years ago or something... I'd be intimidated by a guy like Brian Hacker. Like, people knew his name from playing. You know, he was arguably the greatest tournament report writer of his era. Sure. You know, he wrote for free. Right. You know, a uh, member of a... His Super team, team. top-aided every single limited yeah. Pro Tour for two years. Um, he was unbelievable. Multiple Pro Tour top-aids himself. His team was utterly dominant in um, especially limited Pro Tours. I mean, he. I mean, even as a even a lifestyle influencer on the pro. Oh, side, absolutely. I mean, when you when you look at John Finkel making his transition from sort of you know, very much like, you know, his, I mean, awkwardly nebbish teenage years to a much more confident, like freewheeling, free, com- confident yeah, gambler. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like that is that is you know. I mean, John dyed his hair to look like Hacker. Do you remember that when he, he John had like the blue Hacker hair? I mean, like anyway, Hacker was like. Hacker was like the first magic player who would go out to different cities and girls would fall in love with him for being a magic celebrity, right? Like, he was just, he was a different animal than most of these guys. Sure. And like, so anyway, I guess, look, I was a kid once. I mean, Hacker's only a few years older than me. He's more contemporary to like, Pakula and those guys are a little bit older than I am. Um, but he just like comes up to me in turn and is like, oh, I like your stuff. You know, I, you know, I enjoy, re- et cetera. And like, just being nice to me and. He's long ranging Hall of Fame votes. I know that sounds weird coming from me, but like once upon a time, I wasn't like... Actually, I probably was already like a famous magic writer or whatever, but not like ingrained in the community in a way that right. I would assume to be later. You know, but like I was just like, oh, wow, this guy's really nice, you know? And it just also made you aware that you were part of a magic community. Maybe that you weren't aware that you Yeah, like I, like, like I knew some people, right? Like, so I was good friends with Worth Wolper, and so like I kind of knew the dead guys because of that. And then I, I knew, like I probably was with with John for my first pro tour or stuff like that but then like I wasn't really like I, I, anybody who's listening like if you're kind of like a peripheral guy who's like won a pro tour a qualifier or two and you know local pros let you test with them that would be like way more analogous than to say that I was like best buddies with any of these guys and like somebody like Hacker who lived across the country from me you know like meeting me at a Grand Prix like oh yeah I really like this so like, oh what do you think about these plays what do you think about this I was like is this is this great magic player really talking to me about these topics? You know, like, I, I, I was, it was, it's, I guess, unhumbling, but you know what I mean? But humbling. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wish I could, I would, I would cast a vote. I would, I would, uh, I would vote for Hacker every year if they let me keep voting for him. Um, but they stopped letting me vote for him years ago. Anyway, um, so I have a vote like that this year. And my number four vote, I, I might want to move my number four vote up to number three in case I only want to vote three votes because I'm definitely I think I'm definitely voting for Tom Martell 
Um, statistically, Tom Martell's better at magic than LeBron James is at basketball. <laughs> I'm serious. He has 17 lifetime pro tours, but only 15 of them are real, right? Like his first yeah, yeah, pro yeah. tours were like when he was a kid and he had like no, no contacts, like 10 plus years in the past. Like literally he's a child when he, when he plays his first pro tour. So that goes on his stats. His three-year median finish is 16. Don't don't forget the invaluable community contribution of being a member, a, a frequent guest of the Top 8 Magic podcast. I mean, yeah, like, obviously he was, like, a Top 8 Magic super fan. You know, he, he, he if you just follow the arc of Tom Martell, it shows you how you can level up from nobody to <laughs> inner circle of the Pantheon. He's like, I mean, that's somebody you want. But it's like, of his 15 Pro Tours that are his, <laughs> his real Pro Tours, his median finish is 20. His three-year median finish is 16. Yeah, yeah. And he's statistically the greatest constructed player in the history of the Pro Tour. Like, I talk to people who don't vote for him, and I'm like, wait, so their arguments are basically, yeah, I need Tom to have some shitty finishes for a few years, and then I can vote for him. <laughs> Why do you need to add shitty finishes to this guy? So, yeah, he only has two Pro Tour top eights, and a couple of Grand Prix top eights and a win, but he has two Pro Tour top eights, one of them's a win, and he's only played in 15 legitimate Pro Tours, right? He's, he, statistically speaking, he demolishes any other player in right. terms of in terms of uh, in terms of performance and it's not close but frequent guest of the top eight magic podcast i mean yeah like obviously he was like a top eight magic super fan you know he, he he if you just follow the arc of tom martell it shows you how you can level up from nobody to <laughs> inner circle of the pantheon he's like i mean that's somebody you want but it's like of his 15 pro tours that are his <laughs> his real pro tours his median finish is 20 his three-year median finish is 16. Yeah, yeah. And he's statistically the greatest constructed player in the history of the Pro Tour. Like, I talk to people who don't vote for him, and I'm like, wait, so their arguments are basically, yeah, I need Tom to have some shitty finishes for a few years, and then I can vote for him. <laughs> Why do you need to add shitty finishes to this guy? So, yeah, he only has two Pro Tour top eights, and a couple of Grand Prix top eights and a win. But he has two Pro Tour top eights, one of them's a win, and he's only played in 15 legitimate Pro Tours, right? He's, he, statistically speaking, he demolishes any other player in right. terms of in terms of uh, in terms of performance and it's not close but like the next best player is like Raptor right like, sure but if he let's just say falls off the Pro Tour next year right has just a bad year he's not so, coming uh, back on, right yeah falls off the Pro Tour doesn't come back right what is the difference between his results and Justin Gary I mean they're they're really not close. Tom's only played in 15 no, Pro Tours and is he's, sure, well, he's just, an average Justin, finish just, inside just, of the Justin, top 32. Justin has a comparable a comparable three-year median with ridiculous uh, penetration into day two. I mean, and then they're of, not okay, first of all kind of, I, they're not really comparable, not statistically, okay? His three-year median is not far off of Tom's. Yeah. But his overall stats are not comparable. Nobody's stats are comparable. Okay. okay like, I mean, Randy's is the next closest. Is, and, right. and, and people think of Randy as, like, the... Uh, what's the name of that pitcher you always Randy like? Koufax. Yeah, Randy Koufax. Right, right. Like, he's the only one, right? And nobody thinks that Randy could have kept up his stats, right? Sure. So, and so he gets, like, the Watsy out. You're like, oh, well, Watsy'd out. Now, Tom's obviously not going to Watsy out. But, you know, Tom... 
Tom and Paul were in the same boat when they did Planeswalker points. They're like, yeah, I guess they don't want us on the Pro Tour anymore. I guess both of those guys are like, let's see what we can do in spite of Planeswalker points to, to stay on. And obviously they've both prospered since substantially, but I mean, Tom is literally a player on since. He's like no other player. Um, my, my point being that if he played for another two years, fell off, and then periodically qualified, what do his number? You know, what do his numbers look like? Does he still? That's and I'm not. I'm not. I'm not necessarily saying that you shouldn't vote for him. I'm just saying that that might be the case that his detractors might make. Most of the arguments I've heard against him are play more than 17 pro tours. Sure. I mean, like. But I guess. But I think maybe I'm just giving you a more nuanced version. Yeah. Of place more than 17 pro tours. I mean, like, that's kind of an asshole thing to say, though. Sure. Probably more than I'm 17 a, Pro Tours. I'm not, like, I'm not necessarily... I'm, I'm, so he should time travel? Like I'm presenting it as a potential... You know, maybe they feel like 17 Pro Tours over a 10-year career but the, is, is not enough. But their thing that they're missing is, like, it's not really 17 Pro Tours over a 10-year career. Like, his first Pro Tour, he's a child, doesn't play in a Pro Tour Correct. for eight years or so, More than eight years, right? right. His first Pro Tour is in 2000. His next, pro, and then his first real pro tour is what 2010. And what and what it's those, over ten years later. And what those players are saying is that his pro tour virginity grew back, and at the beginning of this run, that's when his pro oh, tour. So they're saying that we're actually talking about Jared Bocher right now, right? Correct. That's actually who they're like. Oh no, no, this guy's based on Jared Bocher. Correct. Right. Correct. Who's got insane results for somebody who has like four pro tours under his belt? He, uh, he, this will be his third pro tour. <laughs> wow, he really <laughs> has insane results. I mean, he's finished ninth and tenth in his two pro tours. Yeah, at like Grand Prix. Uh, has, has right has two or three Grand Prix top eights. I forget now. Yeah, three, this, Grand, three Grand Prix top eights. Unbelievable one. Yeah, year, right. And it, you know, and it's like dominated at the Open Series. And yeah, yeah. I mean, like, but if you want to talk, talk about short runs, he's like. He's probably not nearly as comparable to like Brad Nelson, right? Brad Nelson when he was on fire. Sure, I mean he, he's he's very much in the in the Brad Nelson mode. Um, no, I mean he's like he's gonna actually have to make some of the top eights instead of ninths. Yeah, I was I was talking to him. Are we like hailing concrete? Like I've like yes, yeah, we are. All right, so before we walked up, um, there was actually a guy not two feet from where we're sitting, uh, four feet from where we're sitting jackhammering the sidewalk with a small handheld jackhammer. Brian took a picture. I did take a picture. It may be on the banner for this podcast. <laughs> it might be. You look at the top of the page. Um, yeah, no, I talked to Betcher. It's funny. You know, Betcher's someone who... Betcher, I'm sorry. Oh, uh, whatever. Betcher, Butcher. Uh, he... I played It's, actu- it's actually once. Manuel Butcher. He's come back. He's just changed his name. Booker. Boucher. I played uh, against here the last year. I think, um... He's playing John. Yeah. I got Mana screwed both games. I was pretty disappointed. <laughs> I got the like, deck was awesome against John. I'm like, oh, he's, I'm like, oh, stomping ground. I can win this matchup. No. Sonny, I feel, I feel like, not, not that anyone's dismissive of him. I feel like, I feel like there's like, you know, he is very much not on the inner circle of the game's top players. He doesn't I mean, have to be. He just does his own thing. He doesn't have a, you know, he's play testing with like the Ben Friedman and Matt Ferrando and, and like those guys for, and, and like, uh, Alex Magelaton for this Pro Tour. Right, but, so like, like he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have that, like, access to any of the super, I mean, super teams. do you remember when Owen was some nobody who came in second in the Grand Prix against yes. Steve? Like, yes. they just, Owen just needed a shot of people who were going to give him a chance. Right, right. And he, I'm, curi- I'm curious to see what next year looks like for Batcher. I mean, Owen's the best technical player in the Pro Tour, right? Like, it's, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem particularly close to me. 
Uh, you know, when 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 I hear that from, I mean, I certainly w- people say it a lot. I was gonna say John says it, Billy Jensen says it, you know, Reed Duke says it. So you know, I'll 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 defer. I mean, they all seem super close to me. You know, I I would I would always sort of opt for a John or John is or, like or Billy. John is much more like Kyrie Irving. Yeah. Where like he's gonna get on Sports Center for. For making people fall down because his yeah. dribbling skills are so good, you know. Right. So like, but Owen is just like, like I, mean, I, think so I need to, He's like Ben Wallace the year that the that the Pistons okay. won. Here's, here's like what, nothing exciting. All he does is get like 14 rebounds a game and never miss any shots and not turn the ball over. And his team won the championship. But like oh yeah, Detroit, Detroit won. The championship with with no superstars, oh. no superstars except for the defensive player of the year, rebounding leader, blocking leader, who by the way ne- never turns over the ball and also never misses any shots. Sixty percent field goal percentage that year, but no, they had no superstars. Sure, opponents also never scored. <laughs> I mean, the people. How many times do you have to watch the highlight of Shaq going up for the dunk and getting stuffed by Wallace before? <laughs> I mean, I could watch that a lot. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. I can't. Every time I hear Detroit won the title with no superstar, I'm just like, but that becomes. What were you watching? Do you not understand? It's not a matter of what they're watching. No, it's just the storyline, right? Like superstars becomes an arbitrary term based on you know people's you know Q rating. I mean, they have a a max contract center who leads three statistical areas in one year and does. But it's but it's not very very widely known by the the public is is what uh, that means. But right? I, I mean, just obviously points per game is the thing that the public looks at the most. Sure. But like, isn't rebounds per game the second thing? He led in rebounds and blocks. And shot sixty percent from the floor. I'm, I'm all about the steals. I love the steals. Uh, <laughs> I don't have to tell you, dude. His team didn't lose any games. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. They're like, oh yeah, Tayshaun Prince, good wing player. All right. Yeah, real All right, good so wing this player. Is, I need to veer you back towards, towards Magic here, just so we can wrap up. Uh, I need to know yeah. if it's okay for me to vote for Guillaume. So I've, I've, I've. I've is this just, comments down there? What? I, I'm voting for Guillaume, but you don't yeah. need my permission. I mean, like, so I've said I, I didn't always have this policy in place. You voted for Bob. I, I didn't. I, I didn't. I don't know what I would have done voting for Bob, but at some point came to the decision. I was like, you know what? I do not want to vote for players who've been suspended during their pro tour careers. In my, knowing what I know about you, and knowing what I think you know, regardless of whatever arbitrary rule you would have put up, you would have voted for Bob. How I, can you, in good conscience, not vote for Bob? It's like not voting for Huey. I I agree. I'm just saying that at some point I was like, okay, well. I didn't vote for Olivier. I did not vote for Antoine. I have not voted Same. for Saido. I've never <laughs> voted for Mori, despite, like, fairly absurd uh, results. Wow, I haven't voted for any of those four players either. Um, I also have vote, not voted for even more players yeah. that other people vote for. Uh, um, for the same reason. You know, and, and, and for Some me... Some of which have been inducted. And for me, you know, having that, that suspension is, is a big deal. But, but there is, to me, a very a difference between what... Guillaume was suspended for and what, say, Saito was Yeah, you know what the for. big difference is? Guillaume wasn't at fault. How about that? Well... Alright, so here's the thing, right? I, Somebody drops a bag of gold at your feet, okay? You didn't ask for the bag of gold. 
Okay. Yeah, that, that this is this is a this is a, a, a tricky ethical uh, slope in in the sense that that's like saying you know your opponent reveals the top card of their library to you, you know. It, you if know, somebody, if the, your opponent reveals some, the top card of their library to you, you are not penalized for seeing it. But you're supposed to tell them to shuffle their deck, or you know what I mean. You see a card during shuffle, whatever. Okay. I don't even know if that's true. I don't know if that's true either. I realize. I really don't think that's true. Like, what if I didn't like the top card of my deck and I just show it to you? Do I get a free shuffs now? I don't believe that that's the rule. I meant during like the shuffle, whatever. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Somebody dropped a bag of gold at his feet, and he spent some of the gold. Right. He didn't even spend all the gold. There's a reason why he got a different suspension than the other guy. Yes, I agree. I agree. I mean, I and, and and his suspension was also reduced. I think, which I think is is somewhat telling. I mean, when when John won Kuala Lumpur versus the second Pro Tour back, I think yeah, yeah, third yeah. Pro Tour back, whatever second or third Pro Tour back, despite the fact that he beat Guillaume three times, beat him three times. <laughs> he said Guillaume Bavotapa was the only player of any skill that he had played against in the Pro he Tour. Just- that was like so funny. He's like, he's like, oh man, I'm glad I came back to the pro tour. This shit's easy. Like he's like, I only played against one guy who was any good. <laughs> and I beat him three times. But he actually said the guy was good, right? Yeah. I mean, Chapin I mean, used to Chapin used to talk about how good like Guillaume was at Clash. Like like he would like play this. for the sixtieth card because yep. he knew what the Clash cards yeah, were. Yeah. Like unbelievable, something that you would know. Nobody I mean, even by, thinks by, about doing this. By, That's by, such a Bob play. By, by the way, you know, you mentioned someone earlier who interviewed John. Yeah. Pierre Canali, his Pro Tour Columbus affinity list with the crazy sideboard was Wafo's. Yeah, it's built by Wafo. I, and Matignon. I think as well. I think Wafo is a pretty easy vote. I like again to me. He's a slam dunk without the suspension. I I I really I really want to vote for him, and that's and that's where that's I, I could I could see myself not voting for him and voting for say Martel. So I, I'll tell you this: I look at a player like the uh, the kind of players that I'm torn on are players like Saito, right? Sure. Which is that Saito? Saito's. I, I mean, like I said, I I actually like personally like Saito. I but like and this is why for me I need to have this rule because I don't want to color it by my personal I, I get to know these players by being around them all the time. I you know they're, so, they're they're very nice. For me like a few weeks ago Saito guest started my TCG player column, right? I admire him like no other living deck designer. He's so disruptive, he's so different. Patrick just smashed a plate. Yeah, I know. He hates it when I say that. He hates it so much. He just snapped the fried chicken bone he was eating. Yeah, you know, there's an interview that me and Patrick, I think there's, I think it might even be in Patrick's book, where it's like me and Patrick are talking, and we're working on, like, best deck designers of all time, and Patrick's like, it's like, you got to tell me some decks that Saito made. And I'm like, he made two, and a red deck. And he's like, all right, what else? I'm like, no, that's it. And, and, and uh, he's like, why did you tell everyone who's the best designer in the world for a year? And I'm like, I was just trying to troll you. <laughs> and he's like, I knew it. <laughs> I'm like, while you're at it, remove my vote for him. <laughs> but I really, I love Saito's deck design. I think he's so, so, he focuses on things that the other elite deck designers don't focus on, which is why I like him. Right. And he still has crazy ideas and stuff. But he's like the first person to be like, oh, let's just put, I, I, I don't remember the real name of it, but I call it Fuck Pig. The 3-3 three, three guy with haste. 
fuck pig. You oh, know, like, fl- Flintoff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, let's put that in a red deck. I'm like, oh, yeah, why did everybody put that in a red? It makes so much sense. You know, he's like, he, but he's the only one. He's like, yeah, put that guy in. He's your only green card. Like, <laughs> you, you can play him off of a... Uh, yeah, like a, you play him off of a burning tree or, burning a, tree, yeah. or, a, or a stomping ground. Go. I'm like, oh, this makes complete freaking sense. It's always a 3-3 haste. Like, wow. Why didn't anybody else think about this? No, because the other good deck designers don't think about this. They're all like, ooh, should I play with two less Brits or two Azori's well, charms? Right. At, at I need some, to draw cards. At some point, deck designers become, you know, the, the line between the deck. He's really, truly a deck designer. I mean, he's trying stuff all the time. And a tuner. But, and he's been, a, yes, he's certainly been a tuner. I think right now he's back in the in the fall deck design it's just because he's not qualified for the Pro Tour. Well, I talked was, to yeah. him. Yeah. He's like, if I were qualified for the Pro Tour, I would not be giving my decks out. Right. Like, I mean, he literally said that to me. You yeah. Know? He's like, so, but as long as I'm not qualified for the Pro Tour, I don't see any reason not to. It's not like I have a team that is relying on me to, to maintain right. secrecy. Yeah. You know, so <clears throat> um, he's so good. He's, he's fantastic. But I, like I said, he's not, he's, he's, he's one of the... So, I mean, the people that I, I could vote for, I could vote for Markel. I could vote for Shota Yasuoka. I so, could very easily see myself pulling the trigger on that, despite... The one top eight. If you're gonna, I mean, if you're gonna vote for some weird fringe player, it should be Tom over Yasso. I'll tell you why. Yasso's resume is not appreciably better this year than it has been any other year since 2005. Okay, for the last nine years, he has not acquired a pro sport top eight that he didn't already have. Okay. How about I mean, that? that's that's <laughs> a true statement. That is a true statement okay. when you don't have any top eight. <laughs> yeah. Very okay. many top eights. So, yeah, by not very many, I mean he has one. Yes. That was a consolation <laughs> top eight, okay? I mean, I don't, I don't view that that way. I mean, that's... It's, by know, the way, Saito's top eight, too. Yeah. Um, but I'm just saying, you didn't vote for... You didn't vote for Yasuo any of these other years, did you? Sure. Why would you vote for him this year? Sure. Tom, on the other hand, is a, he is a unique player... Unto the Pro Tour. And the problem is, the reason that I really want to vote for Tom is like, I feel like his stats can only get worse, despite the fact that he just won a Grand Prix. It's, he's, he's, he, he's, he's very much in my mix. Um, Eric Froelich, someone you mentioned, also in my mix. For me, actually, I, I just, I, I do feel like there are some negative community contributions weighing against Efro. In terms of, you know, just his... You know, I, I think the, the 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 image of the sulky, bitter magic player that you he kind of perpetrates sometimes. You can't expect everybody to be emotionally happy no, and grounded. No, I don't expect everyone to be and, emotionally happy. And I'm just saying that there there is there is some. I, I would say that he's not community neutral. I would say he's slightly. Community. I, I, he's always been neutral or better to me personally. Yeah. You know, no, I, I I I like Efro very much. I think. His public persona, his public-facing persona to the community, is I think something that reflects poorly on magic, as opposed to reflecting positively on magic. So, one of the main things that I have that I, I really and I, and I know that that's something that really bothers him, and I think that that's something he really struggles with, and it's obviously something that is a concern to him. If you've seen his post recently, I, but I'm just saying that I, th- I think that that's you know just just talking through all the different things that are going around in my head as I'm trying to sift these, what, seven or eight people into five votes. Uh, and then, obviously, for me, my fifth vote is Mihara. Right. So if you want me to get a Mihara vote, I got to go all five. You got to go five, then. I can go five. Go five. <laughs> every other year. Yeah, almost every other year. Yeah, so last year was the only one. But, you know, Guillaume's a slam dunk. I think that 
I, I honestly think if somebody drops a bag of gold at your feet, you can't, you know. It's he, That guy didn't go into somebody's castle and take the bag of gold, okay? I understand. It's not the same thing. And nobody says that he did. That's right. your thing, right? right? If one person out there is saying, oh, he had the bag of gold. In fact, people were saying he had an unfair advantage. But, but he actually he actually dissipated his advantage, if that's the case. <laughs> right? Malik actually dissipates whatever advantage he had by spreading the information early. And I, I think a lot of the negative reaction to him, you know, was that he had the godbook. But that's not his fault. Yeah, I, I just don't think... Like, you, if this were a court of law, you couldn't put a guy in jail for this, right? Well, the, the DCI is not... No, no, I'm just saying, let's, let's, let's draw an the example DCI is that's, kangaroo court. That's right? not, the, that's not, you know... Yeah, it's not the, you can't make that comparison. It doesn't really work. I mean, you just look at the new rules that Zach Hill posted. I mean, there's stuff you could do, like, if you bump into somebody, like, a, and it's deemed to be aggressive, you can be DQ'd and suspended now. If you ask a girl out and she says no and you persist, you can be DQ'd and suspended now. Yeah, that's, that doesn't seem I don't think these are bad rules necessarily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying these are kangaroo court rules. No, sure. <coughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, if, you wear, if you wear white before Labor Day or... You know, but the, but the, the, the big one is if you take, take non-permissioned pictures of someone and then post them online, you can be... Sure. You can be sanctioned. Because they've been sanctioning people for this already anyway. Sure. So it might as well actually make it a rule. Right. And I think that maybe that will disincentivize uh, negative behavior in the future. Right. Um, so, uh, so... Or, or anonymous. <laughs> or, or more anonymized photo posts. So when I do it, I'll wear, I'll wear a, a handlebar mustache and, uh, and a domino mask. Oh, awesome. Like, what supervillain took these photographs? Um, all right, so my vote's in order. Guillaume Wafotapa, Paul, Little Darwin Rietzel. Yeah, I'm definitely voting for Paul. And you're, de uh, you're not definitely voting for Wafo. Uh, Eric Froelich is my third. I, I mean, I think I'm going to move Tom ahead of him. Uh, Tom Martell is my fourth, and then we're only getting Mihara if it's five. Okay. So. Right, it's five then. Mihara, Mihara is definitely on my ballot. Uh, people in my mix still. I have Adel, Ikeda. So you have Mihara and Paul, definitely. Correct. And then I have Adel, Ikeda, uh, Guillaume Wafatapa, which I'm really struggling with, uh, Shoti Yasaoka, uh, Frolek, uh, Martel, uh, Justin Gary is in that mix for you me. You have nine guys in your mix who, yeah. aren't, the, who aren't the two yeah. guys you're definitely voting yeah. for. So, um, yeah, I, I, the one guy I really wish I could vote for is Saito. You can't, I can't get over the fact that he's been suspended for a sum total of three years. That is a lot of suspension. It is time. a lot of suspensions, and it's and it's it's three years. You know, it's hard to then look at his results with a. It's not know, hard, especially when your friends are telling you that. Yeah, it's just it's, it's just really hard to, not hard. It's just hard to to go. Oh, you know, or these are these all earned, but, cleanly. Just if that question is there. But in a very real guys way. Guys like Owner, like you watch this guy play, and he's just a flawless magic player. He's so good on the table. Right. And you're like, if he's so good on the table, why does he have three years you know, of suspensions? You know, you know who is flawless on the table? Absolutely flawless. Probably one of the best magic players I've ever seen. Who? Maury. I played against him for fun. He, oh, I played against him for fun, too. It was, it was really he fun. Said, he said, I'll start at seven life and yeah. five cards and... He smashed you. Just, I mean, all, well, it was Pro Tour New York, and we were, we were all a little 
wasted, but there were some extra cards drawn, and there was yeah. I, I, I played was, more. I played. I put uh, once. I played Mori for fun with Wafo's deck. We played. We played Wafo's Blue Red Dragon deck from Hawaii. We're like, hey, Wafo, give me this deck. We played same deck with it, and uh, Mori decked me. So we were playing same deck. Yeah. And but like it was super fun, except for Mori smokes. But, so he's like, we're outside. We're playing yeah. outside. Wafo's like sitting there quietly, and uh, you know. And then Pierre's like sitting on my so Pierre's drafting against John. Oh, man, I hate you. Uh, so Pierre's drafting against John, and they're they're arguing over whether Peel to Reality or Civic Wayfinder is the right first pick in, in Ravnica. And like, I don't remember. Like John's like, it's got to be Peel from Reality. Of course right? he is. <laughs> and like, Kanali's like, you don't know what you're talking about. It's Civic Wayfinder. I'm like, you just tell John Finkley doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, what the hell are who who is this? Then, and then ten years later, he's interviewing him, right? <laughs> but he's literally just like, you don't know what you're talking about. So, uh, and then like, and then like, so, meanwhile, like Pierre's arguing with me about whose blue red deck is better, my blue red deck or Wapo's blue red deck. Of course, I'm saying that it's my blue red deck. He's a stupid Niv Mizzet. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Yeah, but like, yeah, Waf more Wapo top sixteen that Pro Tour, right? Yeah. Yep. My deck was the only undefeated deck on day one, and it top-aided. Got smashed by Heezy. <laughs> Do you remember when freaking... Oh, by the way, Heezy... screwed up By, by the, the way, what about... Heezy like, and Osip. Heezy and Osip are right. like... Like what? 13 and 14 are on there, that ballot? Are there some non-Americans I can kick off of my ballot for Heezy and Osip? <laughs> well, that's all. Let me think. My number one, I have a Frenchman. Here's, let me ask you a shock. Let me Frenchman, you. American, American... Yeah, I have like three right. consecutive me, Americans on my ballot and a Japanese person. Just go back in time. Let's just say... To I don't know Grand Prix Columbus, Steve's Grand Prix Columbus. Okay, so we've really gone back. We've gone back. Yeah. And like now 2007. And now you're thinking forward to the Pro Tour to the Pro Tour Hall of Fame year when this person is going to be eligible for induction. And can you imagine not voting for Gadiel? Correct. Is it I mean, Gadiel's he's, he's not on the ballot anymore. Gadiel like, doesn't have the 150 sig points. file was literally. Pro Tour Hall, whatever his eligibility year is, it's like Pro Tour Hall of Fame 2000 whatever. Yeah. I talked to him a couple of times uh, this month, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, Gadiel and I both understand basketball stats, so we'll be like in Facebook okay. threads. I saw, I saw him, like, he's like, Mike's the only person who knows what's going on here. Yeah, like, people are just like, Darwin starts talking about how, about how Melo is an efficient offensive player. I'm just like, this is, I, I, I can't even have this conversation, right? Like, you could say, I think Melo is a well above average basketball player. Incredibly talented. You cannot take away the fact that he takes 17 foot two point shots with eight seconds on the clock. That is not good play. He would be way better if he didn't do that. And he's just like, no, you have to disrupt the defense. I'm like, well, uh, the Houston Rockets take an average of three two-point jump shots an entire game, per game. And they're the third best offense in the NBA. So maybe you don't have to do that. And this, and this uh, San Antonio Spurs, who are the best offense in the NBA, only have one player who takes two-point jump shots. Have you heard any of Derek Fisher talking about <coughs> Mello? No, I haven't. It's... Derek, Derek Fisher may become one of your favorite coaches. In oh, yeah? He, he, he is... Super smart. And well, I mean, Phil really wanted him, right? Yeah. Phil broke the rules and got and got fined just to yeah. make sure that Fisher didn't re-up yeah, his contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, I mean, he's really just talked about that. I, he talks a lot about, like, the idea of, you know, Melo just changing the way he, he plays. operates and the way he plays. And talks about what the triangle will mean for Melo. 
And, you know, the, the Knicks have been uh, operating the triangle in Summer League with Fisher coaching. I got to say, if LeBron didn't come back, it didn't come back to Cleveland, would the Cavs be crushing Summer League? I'm just like, they're smashing everybody, right? Yeah. So I'm just like, would they be smashing everybody? Would they just stink right, like they so, always do, right? So everyone's <laughs> Are they making, like, oh, let's play for daddy. Everyone's, everyone's making a big deal about the fact that the Cavs may very well trot out a starting rotation with four first pick, first packs. Well, and, they're gonna, <laughs> right now they have four, right? Right, yeah. But let me ask you, how, if you were going to redraft those drafts, how many first pick, first packs, how many of those guys... I, Only half of them would be first. Okay, Tristan Chris, and Tristan and no, no, no. It's Kyrie. Kyrie's a first pick, first pack for sure. I would still take Kyrie first because all the stats said you should take him first. But I would have taken Kawhi over Tristan for sure. Okay. Not close, right? right? And okay. anybody over Bennett. I mean, I would have taken Noel for sure, right? Like, you you got to take Noel. Like, do you imagine right what the situation we'd be right in right now if we just had Noel, who's coming off of his injury, he's yeah, gonna yeah, be yeah. fresh this year. You have this like dynamic. Uh, fast steals getting center instead of we don't have a backup center right like you just have Verich right who's my favorite player of all time but the dude's 33 years old he's made of paper he's like gets injured every single year and the, the main reason that I like getting freaking Andrew Bynum last year was just so that Verich wouldn't have to play so many minutes right, right? and he's so he was healthy most of the year last year but they still spelled him for People don't know this. He got married, so I think they just gave him three weeks off. Oh, he just didn't play. He's like, oh, yeah, he's a finger injury. Sure he does. <laughs> he's a finger injury coinciding on with his, his marriage. Finger injury on his honeymoon. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, Veritas randomly back now. Yeah, he got married. Okay? So the national media never spoke of it. Sure, just, sure. He kept DNPing. Right. Like, oh, he's DNP, but he there's no real reason why he should be injured, and he's not coming up with the games, including the home games. Uh, spe- speaking of the Cavs and finger injuries... Did you see who's trying to make a comeback in the Summer League this year? Uh, Delonte West. Oh, I did not see that. Your tweet last week was insane. Oh, Kyrie <laughs> kicking his hands off of LeBron's pop. All right, so you still say Kyrie, right? Um, you know, I I like the I always like the Wiggins pick. Sure. I, I understand the statistical knocks against Wiggins, but... I think that especially if you're playing... Wait, oh, Tristan wasn't first over there. No. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. was the same year as Kyrie. He was the same year as Kyrie. That's right. Um, no, oh, so I'm saying would, I would have taken Kawhi. You would keep 75% of your first picks. No, I would not. I, I, I would definitely... I would... If, so, I, I, I like the Wiggins pick a lot. And I, I really like the Wiggins pick when I heard about Embiid's back injury. I'm like, I don't sure. want this to implode. But then if you... It must have been clear to them. It must have been clear to all parties. When Kyrie, when Kyrie takes the the max deal, right, and yeah. then if you look at their Twitter feeds, Kyrie, Tristan, and LeBron all change their like their descriptions. It's like it's, it's when the conspiracy theory started popping up. I'm like, sure. what is La Familia? Because all of a sudden, Kyrie, Tristan, and LeBron all have La Familia. They're like proud member of La Familia or something, like the freaking pizza parlor or whatever. Right, right, right. And people are like, what does this mean? Why is Tristan Thompson have it? Okay, and um, and so, uh, but if you know if you know LeBron's coming back, and you can't, you now don't don't have the luxury of taking three years to develop your first pick, you can't take Embiid, right? Right, right. Like obviously Embiid is this. You are. You're if he's in, not. If he's not broken, you're in. He's win. a slam dunk, right? If you're, you're going to sign LeBron to a two-year deal, you are in. You have very to much take win some, the next two years mode. And in fact, you have to take Wiggins because imagine imagine the alternative. Imagine that your starting lineup is. Kyrie, Dion, uh, 
disparage out love and James, okay? And just assume you have love, right? So Dion's starting and say because you've moved Wiggins or whatever, you don't, for whatever reason you don't have Wiggins at shooting guard. Kyrie and Love are both horrible defensive players, okay? So, like, they're both insane offensive players and horrible defensive players. So you have Verajao, who's an elite defensive player, LeBron, who's a very good defensive player, and then you have freaking Dion Waiters as the other as, as the other guy. There's the problem with that team is it's basically it's basically Miami where you could have an awesome offense, but if you're up against the Spurs in the finals, you can't win. So you almost have to take Wiggins, even if he's not an accurate shooter to begin with, because how else are you going to contain the four wings that, that San Antonio is going to play? Wiggins can guard anybody on San Antonio one-on-one at 19. Yeah. Okay? So if, you want, or if you're going to develop a team with LeBron on a two-year contract and you're going to be paying LeBron James 30 $38 million when he's 35 years old. He's, he's structuring his deal. He's like, I'm going to take a two-year contract. Don't read this the wrong way. I'm retiring in Cleveland, but there's going to be a TV deal in 2016. Correct. I'm going to make you pay so when I'm 37 years old, I'm getting paid like 2010 LeBron James. Which that is, the, that's the Lance Stevenson deal too, right? Lance Stevenson's like... No, Lance is just insane. Well, he's insane, but he also feels like he's signing a three-year deal instead of a five-year deal because he'll be in his prime at the end of the three-year deal and there'll be more money and a bigger cap. And I don't think Lance probably has a better year than he had last year. He was the second best shooting guard last year. Where is there to go? Right? Is he going to eclipse James Harden? He's just insane. I was talking to P. Sully about this week last week. I'm like, do you think that we should make a move for Lance Stevenson? We we almost gave a max deal to some dude I don't know his name, Gordon, Gordon Hayward. Hayward the right? Hayward Hayward. Right? So, and he's like, he's like, I like that too more than I like giving Lance a max deal. I'm like, why? He's like, LeBron's never going to tolerate having Lance in the no, locker room. No, no, no. Yeah. Right? For one thing, he's like, it's like if you can get him two years for nine million or something, sure. But he's not going to take that. That's a max. That's a max contractable player. Right, right. Right? There's not that many productive shooting guards. Right? But LeBron's not going to have that. So anyway, I think you have to take Wiggins, right? Sure. Yeah, no, I agree. So what I'm going to take Jabari Parker. By the way, he plays the same position as LeBron James. Right? <laughs> All four of them. What? I mean, LeBron plays like a different. He's a, he's a different player. I was talking to my really... pops about this. I'm, you know, like in the finals last year, San Antonio just habitually played uh, Duncan in four wings. Like Tony Parker's not a real point guard, right? right? So like he's just a small. He's like small mini Kobe, right? Right. right. He plays the exact same game as Kobe, like. You know, insane slashing in the paint or whatever. Right, right. No, I mean, except for like literally no defense. <laughs> uh, so he basically plays like a wing, but he's small, so they call him the point guard. But they're like, Kawhi was a shooting guard his first two years, so it's like him, Kawhi, you know, Green and Ginobili. <laughs> like, hey, four shooting guards and a power forward. <laughs> NBA Finals. <laughs> That team did win 28 straight games. Yeah, that team was kind of ridiculous. Oh, they're still ridiculous. Yeah. So I, I was like, I think the Cavs are probably about between 50 and 60% likely to win the East this year. I mean, I wouldn't say they're slam dunk to win the East. I think that there's other teams that might win the East. Chicago's did, looking pretty good. Did, uh, did the Australian guy, did the... Delhi? He's good. No, no, no. The, the one who's on the oh, team. Oh, Dante Exum? No, no. The, the one who's their backup point guard last Delhi! Matthew Dellavedova. No, no. Yes, that's his name. Oh, 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 on the Spurs. On the Spurs. Yeah, they also have a backup Australian yeah, point guard. Yeah, uh, why can't he, I think of his name? He's out for half the year. Oh, is he really? Yeah, he's, he's, uh, he, he just had surgery. He's very good. Yeah, he's a free agent, though. He resigned. No, he did resign. Their entire team resigned. They was... even resigned Bonner. 
<laughs> they resigned Bonner to a one year. They're just like, let's run it back. You know, I would be so overjoyed to, to root for the Spurs except for what happened. Right? Like, remember what, last time we were like, oh, what if LeBron went to the Spurs? I'm really happy to be wrong right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Maybe you're back to Magic for a second. So we were talking about aggressive mining a lot yeah. of our podcast. Did you see? You the, just want to talk about the name. Well, but did you see the deck too? It's kind of interesting. It's a lot of expensive cards for me blowing up my own hands. Yeah. There's frenzy telling in that deck. Yeah, well, I don't know about the frenzy telling. It made me think for a second, hey. But, but, but Font of Fertility, Burnished Heart, and, you know, other cards that are putting lands into play. I mean, do you think a deck with Burnished Heart is very likely to beat a deck with Madcap skills? Okay. But you I think mean, it's very does, likely to put it in a deck with... he does have four... Um, blow everything up on your side, uh, red cards. All right, so let's play a game. We're going to play a game. It's that's gonna, not, it's that's called, not actually the game I want to play. It's called Rubik's Cube, okay? You have to beat the following cards. Lightning Strike. Yep. Sphinx's Revelation. And, uh, and Thoughtseize, okay? You have to beat those three cards. Or you have to play one of those three cards, or sure, more than one. Sure, okay? sure. I I don't see Frenzy Tilling beating those three cards. No, I would I would not put Frenzy Tilling in my fight. Like the guy said, his list is bad. So the list he showed us was four Font of Fertility, four Deathrite Shaman, four Mizium Mortars, two Burnished Hearts, uh, three Burning Earths. But those Burning Earths are actually are aggressive, aggressive minings. Uh, three Chandra Pyromaster, four Into the Wilds, two Which Fulcrum ones Into the Wild. Uh, it lets you go search for two lands and put them into play. It's oh, like, okay. explosive you know, vegetation. Yeah, explosive vegetation. Uh, Pelucranos, Xenagos the Reveler, Stormbreath Dragon, Frenzy Telling, and Revel of the Fallen God. Like, there are a number of cards in here I wouldn't play. But you just want to talk about the name you gave the deck. Minor Threat? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I think that if you're going to play an aggressive mining deck... You gotta have low curve. Sure, I. I the I, only reason that this deck's card is good in your deck is because you drew too many lands. He's gonna get rid of them, and you know, or, or, finish or you off have, your or opponent. You sweep so the thing that I think is much more compelling, and it's something that I, I've been working on, and I've also heard some people talking about it on Twitter. So I think it's gonna end up being a thing. Is we talked about Necromancer Stockpile. Yeah. Okay, so Necromancer Stockpile, and Timurit the Murder King. Oh yeah. So I discard Timurit the Murder King. I get a token. Yeah. I can now sack that token and return Timur at the Murder King to my hand. So that loop costs how much? Four? Four. <laughs> so if you get Necromancer Stockpile on this play in second turn against the Sphinx's Revelation deck, you win. Probably. Yeah. You probably win. Yeah. Plus... And it's pretty good against... It is pretty good against Thoughtseize. Yeah. Plus... And my three colors are only two. You... I don't know. I plus, think the, plus, the, the other way, are all green. You could play Dictate of Erebos... And now, once you play Dictate of Erebos, gross things start to happen. Because every time you're returning Timurat, your opponent has to sacrifice a creature. I'm going to blow your mind. All right. I was going to cube tonight. Yeah. But I might have to download Cockatrice. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've never downloaded Cockatrice, but I don't think I have any choice right now. That's exciting to you? This sounds insane to me. Yeah, I think that this is like a real deck that we could see... Remember we were talking about like, the green deck we were thinking about when we were doing the podcast? Like, oh, we can play this. And then they're like, draw a card. Sack it, sack this, return Timoret, sack your guy. Well, I'm, I'm just thinking how to make this super exploitable, right? 
Do we play Rakdos Guildgate in this deck? You need to hit your lands, right? You do need to hit your lands. But, I mean, there's there's enough between the between the Scrylands, the Painlands. I mean, you have everything available to you right now. All right, so we go. What's our breaker? I mean, this is just Rakdos's cards. return. Yeah, I, mean, I was thinking that, but like, I guess we are always going to hit our land drops, right? We just play like vanilla. We just play Walking Corpse. Possibly. I mean, again, we 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 go. I mean, there's plenty of. There are plenty of zombies that you could be playing. Definitely three one zombies in my deck. Yeah, this you know what this is, don't you? This is Undead Gladiator 2K14. Oh my god, I didn't think about it that way. <laughs> way to way to make it so I don't download Cockatrice tonight. <laughs> I was gonna download Cockatrice, and then you're like, oh, this is Undead Gladiator deck. I'm like, oh well. <laughs> we loved Undead Gladiator. I know. <laughs> you know how many Pro Tours I could have played something else in? I mean, like you still Back when play... I could still qualify with the Pro Tour, I could have played something yeah. else other. You still you, you could still play Chandra. You could still, no, you could still, you can play Stormbreath Dragon as your finisher. Like you just dig to Stormbreath. What about Patrick? Isn't Timurth the Murder King a good combo with Patrick? That's oh, pretty good. Yeah, you can play Patrick. We can also just play like all sorts of sweepery thing. Oh, by the way, the other thing that I think is really insane, just absolutely insane in in the new format, is Aetherling and the new Nevernal's disc. Yeah. Like, just like... I did not realize that Adrian Sullivan made top eight of Grand Prix Chicago. Yeah. So, and he played that blue-white deck that I've been talking about. Like, not, I mean, not, not saying he copied me. No, no, He's saying, yeah. like, oh, what if you play blue-white with, like, all uh, Cyclonic Rifts and... Yeah. And, uh, and, planar, and planar Cleansing with Quicken instead of playing these stupid permanents that just get destroyed, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm like, that's what he likes. What he played. He, I mean, he obviously Adrian did up. He had like all the weird cards. So yeah. He, he had Debtor's Pulpit for other Aetherlings, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had, he had, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, trading Post. So did you play Trading Post and just discard a card? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I gotta get behind some of these crazy ass things. That deck was sweet. It, uh, were, were you in, bo in booth? Uh, I did some booth, yeah. I just did not read. When was this Grand Prix? Couple, I don't know, a couple weeks back. I just didn't realize he top played that one. Good for him. Um, Blue White's good. I don't think people don't talk about it as being as being that good. I, I think they just like almost universally talk about Mono Black Devotion or Black Green Devotion as being the best deck in the format. But Blue White is like, you know, Divination. We've we've always talked about on the podcast. That Divination has a great matchup against Thoughtseize, and Lifebane Zombie has nothing to hit in this deck. You know. He could, he's always, he could we get, also get to play Lifebane Zombie in our deck, in the Black Red deck. We're obviously playing. We have to have some good cards. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, back to basketball now. Okay. I know you have some more magic. Anything you no. want to talk about? By, by the way, you can also just wait a minute. You know what am I talking about? We could just kill our opponent with Timurat. Like you just get to sacrifice goblins. You just get to siege gang commander them with your stupid zombie tokens. Oh, okay. Over time. Right? Yeah. You just like do you know Timurat's other ability? Shooting. Yes. Sacrifice a creature, do two damage. So we're going to accumulate a ton of stuff over time? We're just going to... You can just say yes. I would yes. be fine with yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, that's also just a loop, right? Like, if you, you get yourself into just a dominant position, right, like so, every time you discard that, you make a token, so, you... So for four mana, let's, let's just make sure we do this. If you have Necromancer Stockpile in play in four mana. Yeah. You're spending two mana. Discard a card, draw a card, get a zombie. Yeah. Okay? T tap the other two mana, sacrifice the zombie you just got, 
draw back Timurit. Correct. So for four mana, what you've done is you've got Whispers with buyback. It's basically Whispers with buyback. It's basically Whispers okay. with buyback, but but you maybe for four. but maybe you blocked something. No, you didn't because it comes into play tapped. Oh, so you're looping sure. it later. It's sure. fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That I mean, Whispers with buyback is fine <laughs> for four. Right. Um. Yes. Do we have to have a critical mass of zombies? You, you actually have to have... You actually do. You have to have at least have, 20 creatures. You, you need you need a lot of zombies. I don't know... But you need at least 20 creatures just to get your thing going. Right. But in terms of zombie looping, maybe they should all be zombies, right? So if you're like 20 creatures, you need 20 creatures, four necromancer stockpiles. So you have like three slots left. Yeah. I mean, is it ultimate price... I mean, it's some some combination. Thoughtseize, two removal cards. You need sign in blood. This deck wants sign in blood, right? Fortunately, that's been reprinted. Or maybe this deck goes Urborg Corrupt. Do you need? You I think, think you need twenty creatures. Do you have like Blood Scrivener? What is that guy? If you would draw a card while you have no cards in hand, and said, draw two cards and lose one life, that's in play. We could we could <coughs> play it. Uh, I think you play that guy. I remember. Oh, we, th- this is the reason to go green, right? Drag Mangler. Drag Mangler and uh, Lot Less Troll. A lot of that Troll's a high quality spell. Yes, I agree. Great Merchant of Asphodel straight in. He's right in this deck, yeah. isn't he? I mean, he's nugging for three, I'll be honest yeah. with you. But actually, actually the, the green red black version is pretty compelling. Well, how much mana do you need to operate Timurit that's red? Uh, you don't need any, any right? you don't need any red mana to operate him other than for shooting. Yeah, so you could just have like a red temple in right. your deck somewhere. Yes. I think that's probably I And think you can also pre- finish people off with with Jer- with, 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 with Lord. Yeah. I think this could be a deck. I mean, some of the cards are expensive, so really the challenges are I think if you have Necromancer Stockpile in play, you're favored yeah. against Sphinx's Revelation and favoring against Thoughtseize. This deck sounds to me like it's going to get murdered by Madcap skills. I mean, I feel like you have Drown in Sorrow as a, as a card. I feel like you have a million spot removals to back yourself up. Like, again, you're... All right, I'm, I'm going to weave a weave a, an image for you. Yeah. I have that new 2-1 for 2, and I'm playing with Arc Lightning, whatever the hell they call it right now, and you have X-1s. What are you talking about? You have guys that are X1, okay? Like that, the two one Bob guy. Okay. Sure, I don't have to. I don't have to play that. No, no I'm just saying, like, you have cards like this in yeah. your deck, right? You have things that are like one or two toughness. Right. Like, what happens when the opponent's like that thing? Arc lightning, three things. Take eight haste. Like. Right. That guy's insane. I think red aggro has so much incentive to it. Yeah, no, I love... I mean, obviously, that was the, that was also the deck we ended up being most excited about. Yeah, I think it's where red, red got the most. I think green got the second most, but I don't think green's really playable because of... Because of... Black Bane's up. This is too good. Right, like for, like for, like, six more weeks or something like that. I mean, or eight I'm, more weeks. I might, I might just buy all the green cards just to play FNM because I want to play, like, the Forest Matters green cards. It's like Nissa... I'm literally going to play Nessian Game Warden. Yeah. Because Mize. And then, like, Twin Grove. Look, I, that'd be a fun deck to play at FNM, right? Like, yeah. I, I could win an FNM with that, I think. Yeah, probably. 
Write like kids, a, kids are sharks. Write like a series of articles about my Eponym victory. Those kids are sharks. I entered the arena of Friday Night Magic. Colonian <laughs> so, yeah, Twin Grove was my only friend. But uh, I think I think Dictative Erebos is is just a mean card. I think you, I don't know, you maybe sideboard that thing. So, sideboard that thing. I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't play more than one or two. I mean, you're gonna see so many cards in this deck. Dude, Saito Wayfinder's coming out tomorrow. We'll know what to play then. <laughs> So what is Saito Wayfinder? That's when he posts his, like, 20 decks on Twitter. Uh, Can we go back to basketball yet? Is there other things we were... Is there something else we want to talk about other than basketball and magic together? We could talk about Black Captain America or Female Thor. All right, Female Thor. I mean, how long is that going to last? One year? I don't know. How long do they keep Cap dead? One year? They're not not killing Cap. No, no, no. When they killed Cap last time. Oh, sure. Yeah, they generally... I mean, I generally say it's a year to an 18-month life cycle for... Anything permanent in superhero world? Yeah, like Johnny Storm didn't even die, stay dead for a, for, for a year, and that was a big deal when Hickman right. killed him. Like yeah. they had the black cover, and then they were like changed it to three. Yeah, they see. changed the name of the book. Yeah. Spider Man tearfully joined the team. I mean, yeah. like Super- that was a big deal when yeah. Johnny Storm died. I, mean, I, I have a, I still have a black bag Superman somewhere too. If this were 1992, you'd be rich. Yeah. Someone got it for me for a dollar at a yard sale. <laughs> so this is how. This is, so this I mean, I, I really like the Captain America story a lot from what I read about it today. I think it's really interesting. So you know, Steve Rogers is going to lose his. I, I don't know. Super soldier. He's going to lose his super soldierness. He's going to age. Yeah. And just not be able to be a superhero anymore. And he's going to retire, become like a tactical, like an Avengers resource as a tactician. And is going to be the and the first time that Captain America gets hand his successor. He's been succeeded a few times, yeah. But it's the first time that he's going to hand choose his successor, and he chooses Sam Wilson, who's been the Falcon. So, um, but if he doesn't have Super Soldier Serum, why is he a great tactician? I thought he was only a great tactician and battle genius because of Super Soldier Serum. No, I think that just gave him the physical. Prowess. No, that's that, what. That's uh, why he can master because like, that's why he can master things immediately. Stuff sure. like that. Well, he's guess, like guess, just designed for combat. I now. guess the years of, of you know experience of punching is, Nazis in the face. Yeah. Leaping out of leaping off of motorcycles with sidecars to blow up Nazi bunkers. Yeah. So yeah, I mean I guess they get Rick Remender's been really uh, controversial on Captain America. I don't know if you've seen him. I haven't, I haven't. People really hate him. Oh, really? Yeah, women in particular. Oh, right? really? So, yeah. Oh, that's uh, interesting. It's interesting because cl- clearly Marvel is catering to a uh, conscious consumer. They really hate Rick Remender. What 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 is what is he what has he done? Over-sexualizing female young female characters. Uh, there was this thing called Fire Rick Remender that was like a big thing about oh, the last I, I, I think I saw that hashtag. But it's just like some stupid woman wrote this thing cuz she didn't read the story. So that she's like blah blah blah. He's advocating pederasty, you know, what, uh, right. uh, not pederasty, he's teaching a child, right? Pedophile. <laughs> um, and then so it becomes like this big thing, and then it turns out that she just didn't read the damn book. And then so she, so the thing is like she gets uh, her- Watch out, I'm seeing a fire with Flora's hashtag coming. So so she's like, no, this is like, this is super <laughs> blew up on, yeah, on yeah, Tumblr yeah. over the last yeah, two yeah. weeks, right? Yeah, yeah, So then she writes this big thing like where it gets tons of, of you know, like Mary Sue is linking to it and everything. And it's about how, like, oh, sorry, I blew up this whole thing about Fire Recommender. But while you're listening, I really hate <laughs> It's like one of these, and I, I really wanted to, like, write a response, like, why is anyone listening to this person? The only reason that anyone ever noticed this idiot 
is because she started this incendiary thing that was based on not reading the right. details of the story. So now she has a freaking podium, okay? Why is anyone listening to her opinion? This is like the classic thing that the that the I, I that the militant I, atheists say, like, why do why do we respect the Taliban's opinion on anything, right? Like you you like we don't respect their opinion on like the Taliban women. you mean the conservative right in America? We don't respect their opinion on X, Y, and Z. Why do we get to why do they get to say why this is a family value. Why did they get right, to say right. this? We shouldn't listen to their opinion on anything. Right. They're idiots. Right? Like, hey, Taliban member, can I have your opinion on astrophysics? <laughs> of course you would never ask that, right? right? But, like, how come we respect their opinion on, you know, how children should be reared? Right, right. right. They have no standing for any purpose. Why, this, why should we now listen to this woman who the only reason that we listen to her is because she was loudly wrong? Probably because she's plugged into a hunger for a more gender and racial inclusive superhero landscape. It's just like, what is it, like Cancel Colbert from a few months ago? The woman who started Cancel Colbert was a moron, right? As as an Asian American, I can just say that (laughs) this woman who, you know, because they they said like a, you know, it was an anti- Asianist joke, but it's taken out of context because right. in the context of the bit, it's making fun of people who are sure. who are doing this. Sure. But they're like, oh, I saw a tweet like this. Let's rally all of our 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 uh, liberal guilt white friends to to cancel this incredibly intelligent television show because I read a tweet out of context. It's like people who freaked out. At, do you remember Pat Oswalt's Twitter thing where he did a series of yes. two part tweets where read in one half yeah. at a time they were incredibly racist but they were actually continuous like very very elegant joke yeah. so but, but like the, the thing is these people get national media coverage that not just on the internet like but also like sites like Forbes and Time are talking about them it's clickbait at some point right like it's all it, that it's your, it's your bread and butter buddy your bread and butter as a scummy online marketer, <laughs> I, can, I can tell you, like, I, I look, I think this is, this destroys just the rhetoric of, of, we live in this world where people have a voice and they can use it so well. And the, the example I always like to talk about is like Joey Pasco. Here's this guy who just likes magic and him and his buddy just make a, make a, a magic podcast and he has no especial expertise in magic but for the fact that he's like the nicest guy on earth and really cares about the game and hones his craft right. and over time gets to be one of the most popular commenter- commentators in the game to the point that he's hasn't been in Grand Prix yet but he's considered to be on the to, to be on the roster okay people he just like works at this craft okay and that is such a great way that somebody who doesn't have what you would think of as like the conventional chops in a certain area, like, you know, like in sports or in magic, like, oh, well, this guy is one of one pro tours. This guy's like been on a bunch of championship teams. So he should get a commentator job or he should get a coaching job or whatever. Right. That like that the freedom of information and the freedom of communication, the internet facilitates someone wonderful like Joey. Oh, actually I'm wrong. Joey Pasco did commentate on a, on a Grand Prix. I was with him, but I forgot about that. Okay. So, um, uh, d- gets to have these opportunities, right? They're just like intelligent people who mean well sure. and communicate and raise the discourse. Sure. 
even if they've never won a pro tour. Right. Myself would also fall into this category, I hope, okay? Then you just have these idiots who yell. Like, what if people are yelling because they're upset about something that's very real? But they, in these cases we're talking about, they're not real. They just misread right, this you, thing. But, right, but... But now we listen to them. It's like Monica... Why does Monica Lewinsky make six figures a year? She's, she has, for the last 15 years, been lecturing. Lecturing about what? Shaming. I, w I think she actually has a lot to say. She obviously does. I, I, I'm, actually, she has a ton to say. I mean, she's someone who's subjected to incredible national shaming for her sexual behavior in a way that would not... Would never, ever have been reciprocated if, that were, if the gender roles in that were reversed. And so, I mean, I'm just saying, so she, she does have, I, I mean, she certainly can speak to that experience in a, in a very, uh, intel I mean, she's, she's an incredibly intelligent young woman. I mean, it's not that young anymore. Well, she's not that young anymore, sure. But. It's older I, than I am. But, I, I mean, cer cer certainly is someone who went through an experience that no other human on earth can imagine going through. I mean, you know, if you've read any interviews with her, she talks about like, like, how does she even date? Like, how does she, how does she go about her normal life? She's like this person who was like an anonymous human being who happened to have a really good job, you know, in terms of like, you know, or access to to the most powerful man in the, in the world. And now, extra special access. Well, yes, but now, you know, and is now just this punchline for the rest of her life. When she dies, you know, people are good. You know, night late night comedians should they still exist, are going to make jokes about cigars. So, like, why, why, why shouldn't she have a chance to talk about that experience and maybe just to open up the discourse about how we, we handle, you know... People who have shaming. experienced actual horrible things often share their experience. What she, what she experienced is an actual horrible thing. I mean, okay. That's an actual horrible thing. I feel terrible for But her. they don't cash out like this for years and years and years. She's made millions of dollars. Like, I, I, I don't I don't begrudge know. her. All right. I, I think, like, my personal opinion is that, yes, uh, I mean, I think that she was put into a position right. that was well well outside what leverage should have, should have dictated, right? She's a 21-year-old girl. She right. would have never... She should never have been put into this position. Yeah. But I feel like the fault is less... It's less, the media, it's not even the media's fault, right? The media is like a corporation. You give it a piece of, you know, you give it a piece of chum and it becomes a, a hungry piranha, right? right. Like, that's right. to be expected. A hungry okay. piranha that can vote with its money legally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's fine. Like, I'm not advocating right now that we completely <laughs> unseat the system that we live in, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, that's to be expected. She puts herself into this situation where given a certain uh, a certain series of decisions, she could be that chum, okay? She's put in that situation by the most powerful man in the world. Yeah. The fault is not the media's, the fault is that person's. Sure. And he, at that point in his career especially, in the last year or so of his presidency, had made a lot of powerful enemies, okay? Oh yeah. There are, certainly, you can have empathy for this person's experience. I agree with you in this case. But you can't pretend like she didn't enter that with eyes open, at least to the degree of a 21-year-old, right? Whether a 21-year-old should be in this situation is a very different question. I, I don't think that that is probably sure. the case. But is it, is it when I was 21, would I have had the wherewithal to, you know, 
not sleep with Hillary? Blow the president, you know? I, I He's a good-looking president, you know? Yeah, obviously, this is just a... If this were not the president, if this were just, like, a CEO of a corporation or something, there would have been worse... Worse implications for him, right? It's interesting to me. I mean, just the way this sort of conversation is sort of drifted away from talking about, like, Marvel making these changes to, like, these very iconic superheroes in the universe. And it, it's clear that a lot of the reaction to it is that it's not necessarily people reacting to change, but the idea that people are worried that people are reacting to people calling for change. Actually, that's not my reading. I actually think they're irrelevant. I love reading Marvel comics, and I don't think that the change to a female Thor is genuine or long-lasting. And I don't think Sam Wilson's going to be Captain America for the long term. And if I thought either of those things were the case, then I'd be like, oh, wow, it's cool that there's a black Captain America. Or it's interesting that they have a girl Thor. But it's not real. Right? Right. Nobody believes that five years from now this is real. Right. Apart from all the sort of gender, political, and racial political implications, you're like, I've been reading comics for X plus decades. And I know that Superman's coming back, that the Flash's hemorrhoids are going to go away. (laughs) And that Captain America is going to be Steve Rogers. It's just, this is how, this is what I know. Sebastian Stan has signed a nine-picture deal with, with Marvel Studios. And Chris Evans wants to retire, okay? Sebastian Stan is Winter Soldier. Yeah. Guy. Anthony Mackie is not going to be Captain America. Sebastian Stan is going to be Captain sure. America. And he's going to be the Captain America of record for the next decade plus, okay? That is a, this is in stone, I am sure that this is the case. Okay? The fact that they're casting a black Captain America is just for short-term shock value. Same as same as unveiling the girl Thor on the view. Come on. Seriously. Like, if I thought this were genuine, I'd be like, wow, that's really interesting. Maybe this is really inclusive. Maybe this is worth having a conversation about. But it's not. Right. Well again, keep in mind in both in both cases, they're not like obliterating the other character. So like the the human or the the, the Asgardian, I should say, that is Thor in the Marvel Universe is not going to stop being uh, a character. He's just going to stop being Thor. He's just going to be, what's his name, Dr. Donald Blake or something? No, he'll be the Asgardian that, you know, he'll be Odin's son and all that stuff. But he's he still no going to be an Avenger? He just can't lift the hammer? Don't know. That Well, I guess the idea is that he's supposed to not be able to lift the hammer anymore. But he's like, even if he can't lift the hammer, and he's the, still strong and stuff, right? I, I've heard rumors that the, the female, the character that becomes Thor is... Is uh, Angela? No, Angela is Thor's sister. Oh, Angela! I keep hearing Angela, and I thought that was the Spawn character. It is. Oh, it is. You do not know what happened. I don't know. All right, so, um, Todd McFarlane buys like somebody's drawer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Literally buys like a freaking drawer. Okay, at like a bankruptcy sale. The drawer happens to have some unpublished. Miracle Man comics in it that Neil Gaiman wrote, okay? So, Todd McFarlane decides to put Miracle Man in his comic when Brian Bendis was writing, uh, like, was it Sam and Twitch? He was writing some Spawn Universe yeah, comics yeah, yeah. back then. He's like, yeah, I'm going to put Miracle Man. He made Miracle Man, like, all super ripped and everything. And, <clears throat> and Miracle Man, by the way, is not worth very much because nobody even knows who he is at this point, right? Like, you could, you, there, there's a reason why Todd McFarlane could buy this entire comp, company for like $15,000, right? So, Eclipse Comics. Yeah, so Neil Gaiman's rightfully like, you don't own this thing, 
me and Alan Moore and Alan Davis and Gary Leach own this thing. Because there's a contract. He's like, no, I bought this drawer full of comics right. that you wrote that never got published. Now I own them. I'm Todd McFarlane. So Neil Gaiman's like, all right, well, I made this character Angela for you, and this other character, maybe Violet or something, like, first appeared in a comic that I wrote for you in 1993 or whatever. He's like, I own those. And Todd McFarlane's like, no, you don't, even though Neil Gaiman clearly owned them. So, so I tell you what, I'm going to fight you in court for the ownership of these guys who are worth way more than uh, the $15,000 that you put. Uh, there's like licensed products of Angela, Angela miniseries, like all these things. Like, you know, in the 90s, Image was selling a lot of comics, you know? It's like, I'm going to sue you for this stuff. Probably runs like, fine, bring it. Oops. <laughs> so the net net of this is... <laughs> Neil Gaiman crushes Todd McFarlane in court right. and now has Miracle Man, whatever his ownership of Miracle Man back, yeah. and yeah. full ownership of Angela, who created for Todd McFarlane, and probably other things, okay? So Neil Gaiman's like, I don't publish comics. I write American Gods now. Yeah, he's like, it's like I don't, you know, I consult on screenplays. I don't even want this crap. He's like, yo, Joe, we're buddies. I guess you can have my characters, which is why. Miracle Man's getting reprinted in Marvel Comics, not even getting credited to Alan Moore. So Alan Moore's like, oh, I can't have money. <laughs> he's how could a man so smart? Like he's he like took no money for V for Vendetta. He took no money for League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. He just like gives it to his co-collaborators. I just don't understand. He's a different. It. He has a different. The, no, the thing I think different set of guiding principles. No, he's just, just gonna be like this it. crazy old hobo who dies penniless. But if that's, but if his principles are more important to him than money, it's not about having like any money. It's not about like profiting over things that don't belong to you, right? It's not like I, it, even the thing we were talking saying, about a minute ago, right? I'm right? Saying, like I'm saying getting he, a pulpit that you don't deserve, okay? Right. It's it's that he really created these things, and right. if people are, if a company is selling the things that he created. Is it not just for him to get a cut of this instead of just this nameless corporation? Or actually named, but soulless corporation getting all the money? It's going to seem like an odd turn of phrase considering I'm trying to make him sound, you know, like... But, I mean, he's a Steve Ditko-esque whack job. You know, and... But, but I mean, he has that right to do that, right? He has that right to just sort of, like... But they don't even write his name in the comic books. Like, this seems... He wrote these wonderful comic books, like, that are... I've actually read the entire run. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. I own the, all the yeah, first yeah. editions. Like, they're so good. Yeah, they're like, change change the face of comics. It was interesting. I was I was in a Twitter exchange with Monty Ashley, who's yeah. reading Miracle Man, and he's just kind of or bothering, and he's like, "Is Miracle Man really great, or is it just important?" And I'm like, "It's both, but it's kind of like, have you ever talked to someone who has only seen Godfather in the last few years, and they're like, I've seen all that before. What's so revolutionary about Godfather?" And the idea that every crime movie, every, yeah. you know, mafia movie that's come after The Godfather has been influenced by The Godfather. Um, every superhero comic that's been written for the last 30 years has been influenced by Alan Moore's work. So or 28 years, I mean, like, whatever it is. When I read Supreme by Rob Liefeld, right, when Alan Moore took it over in the 90s, I was reading this thing and I'm just like, wow, this is just... You know, Brian Vaughn and I would talk about it all the time and he's just like... Yeah, he doesn't care anymore. He's like, I don't know if you understand this, but he does not care anymore. He doesn't care about writing superhero comics anymore. This isn't what he's, his, this is not his game. His game is to see how far he can push the genre, right. not, not to write a good story. The fact that he's writing a great story is 
incidental. Is incidental. And then like if you read it, like he cliffhangers you like these like heart wrenching stories about like these characters that Rob Lightfield made because he wanted to sell comics to the lowest common denominator, and Moore is reimagining them in impossibly brilliant ways. I still never read those. And then the next issue is literally like a Mad Magazine issue, like because Moore loves all all the comics sure. history. Like so, he thinks Moore literally thinks that Mad Magazine is greater in comics magnitude than than uh, like the work of of Kirby and Lee and stuff. And he's he's actually more influenced by sure. these things. So and, and and you're like, is this so incongruous? Mad, Mad, Mad Magazine was probably at some point much more culturally far-reaching. Uh, uh, I think that's changed but now. As a serious in the comic writer, especially someone who actually appreciates and loves superhero comics, that's a hard thing for me to accept, right? Sure. So, and I understand where you're coming from, but like, but the thing I remember when Supreme got canceled, it was like written on a cliffhanger, and I'm like, oh my god, this is an impossibly heart wrenching story, and the villains have just won, okay? And then then it gets rebooted somehow, like two years later or something, and then it's like a like the next. And like, you have to accept the fact that Moore wrote them in order, and he was planning for this next issue to be the yeah, next yeah, issue, yeah. despite the fact that it took five years to come out or whatever. I think it came out in 1999, and the first one was like it broke off in 1996 or something. Sure. It's like three years later. You're like, this is so telling that this was the breaking point because now it's like a joke. But Moore's like, oh no, this is what I always wanted, right? <laughs> and he's like, oh no, that this issue that's like that is actually the crowning achievement of my Supreme issues, and it never came out until last year. So last year, I, I read it because I first I bought my first digital comic in 2012, actually, because Alan Moore's Supreme was getting done by is, Eric Larson. Is all the Supreme stuff available digitally? It, so yeah, so I it's on Kindle actually. Oh, you okay. can get you can get all of Moore's except for the last issue. Because his last issue that he wrote, and he would say in interviews, is the greatest thing I ever wrote, was drawn by Eric so Larson in 2012. Oh, and the wow. last issue of Supreme was published in 1999. But it was really written for like 1996, right? Okay. But, then, but then Moore went obviously off to Wildstorm, and he explored, he explored whatever he was going to do with Supreme and Tom Strong, really. And then the first seven issues of Tom Strong are among the greatest superhero comics ever. One of my favorite. Hi, I got it for you for your birthday. Yeah, it's one Tom, Tom Strong is just one of my favorite comics. So I love Chris Sprouse. I love Alan Moore. I, yeah, so Chris Sprouse is a collaborator in the second half of Supreme. Jaime, Jaime Hernandez, art. And, yeah, I, got the, I, mean, I knew you would appreciate uh, it. So How good is that? How gorgeous is that story? It's, I, I mean, Supreme 1 through 7 is one of my favorite things. Yeah. Ever. So, I'm sorry, uh, Tom Strong was... So, yeah. so Supreme, he writes, which is a Superman story, right? And I didn't realize it until the early 2000s when I went back and spent all the money to get these Miracle Man comics that they, he was this was actually an extension of what he was doing in Miracle Man but it was like Miracle Man is like literally the Shazam version of Supreme Supreme is the, the Superman version and then Tom Strong is the is the is it Doc Bre- uh, uh, Doc Savage Doc, Doc Savage, Doc Savage right? it's the more pulp yeah so and he's like he's deliberately doing this with different super iconic characters right. that are all telling a very similar amazing story that is deliberately created right. to bend the genre the Superman archetype but there's like there's like the, the the sort of the pulpy, just like good at everything guy, which is Doc Savage. There's the you know sort of the epitome of humanity. There's the and, and the, I, the god the god that descends from the heavens that is Superman. Yeah. So do, do you ever read Moore's like Wildcats? Which is I never did. No. So it's also it's just the same thing where it's basically like he wrote his Wildcats before. He, so he was with Jim Lee and then he wrote a year of Wildcats and he went to Rob Liefeld. I guess he wanted to make money for a while, right? Sure. And the Image Comics were selling very well back then. So. There was these characters like Mr. Majestic and Union for that were that were very much in the trope of the of Jim Lee's Shazam and Jim Lee's Superman versus um, 
versus uh, uh, Rob Liefeld, Superman, and Rob Liefeld. And they coexisted in the same universe for a while when they were all in the same studio, but obviously both of them got fired, more or less, uh, for different reasons. But there's like just, just this one image that an illustrator wrote. It's just like, it's like the end of time. At the end of time, it's like Moore's Supreme, Moore's Miracle Man, and Moore's... Um, and Moore's Mr. Majestic, Ooh, like these three, like Superman slash uh, slash uh, Shazam archetype, like god level superheroes, like looking down at the end of time. Like one of the most amazing stories that the more it's like it's actually about the end of the end of the universe, where where the, the surviving wild like one of the surviving wildcats is basically the Superman of the wildcats, and he's like old, and there's like there's like nobody left, and the the, the universe is going to go into heat death. That's like him and a random vampire, and like normally a hero would be like enemies with a vampire but like she's the only thing that's still alive and so he lets her feed on him and stuff and like there's nobody else like who's she who's she gonna predator for he's like you know it's about forgiveness and it's this, this insane cosmic story like only more could write right, right. he's like so amazing uh and he will not take credit for this seminal piece of work that is like him he only wants that credit on his terms on the upward arc of his career before he writes Watchmen, before he writes Killing Joke, he was like preparing to write these comics on Miracle Man, and he won't take credit for it. And like Miracle Man 15 is a prototype for a violent comic book, and there's it's not hard to find ultra violence, but it's incredibly hard to find ultra violence done so well. It's 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 like the comics equivalent of a Tarantino film. I just it kills me that it says the original author. It's like written by the original author. See, I, I, I'm kind of, I kind of like the quirk of that quite a bit. I just and don't. I like the lore of it. I like, I, I hate it for his sake, but for the sort of like sake of like people like, what does that mean? And and like searching that out and sort of like tugging at that loose thread of going, what does original author mean? It kills I like me that. that the Disney Corporation, which is a multi-billion-dollar corporation, is selling work that's bill billion. Billion, multi-billion dollar corporation. That's what I said. Oh, I thought you said million. Oh no, no, no. They bought Marvel for multiple billions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Star Wars. And Star Wars, yeah. So it, it kills me that there's this multi-billion dollar corporation that is retreading his 30-year-old work because Neil Gaiman was just like, "Yo, I don't write comics anymore. Joe's my buddy. Here's Miracle Man and Angela. Go put her in Thor comics." And he's not getting a penny for it. It's, it's this is flabbergasting to me. You know what's so funny about that to and He's me? given me so much pleasure over my life. You know what's so funny about that to me? is Because I think back some 20 odd years, my, I'm really good friends with Jim and Pamiotti. Yeah. Worked with him when he first got into comics. He introduced me to my wife. Which is, that's an amazing. Um, he, so it's whatever, we're going to all hang out at some bar, watch Jimmy's girlfriend at the time play at, at CBGB's, play a, you know, a set. And there's this new artist hanging out with Jimmy, this guy Joe Casada, who had just done Legends of the Dark Knight. He'd just done this one Batman story, Legends of the Dark Knight. Just like 93 or so? Something like that. Yeah. Gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Very Mignola-esque. Like a little bit of biting on Mignola, the way artists will often do at the beginning of their careers. And I was just like talking to him. And I'm like, wow, you know. Joe, you're good, man. Yeah, you're really good. This was really impressive. It really sat. And he's like, yeah, I don't know if comics are for me. I might just, <laughs> I might just be a musician. <laughs> Joe Casada, huh? <laughs> By the way, he was on the Colbert Report last night. If you didn't see him, it's uh, one of the most important comic creators of the last thirty years now. Yeah, basically revitalized Marvel Comics to get it to the point that people actually consider buying it. If you were Disney, 
You know, um, he's been the chief creative director now, right? So yeah, I think so. He yeah. stepped down as editor in chief um, a few years ago, uh, but he'd been the editor in chief for a while. So he he and Jimmy Palmiotti did this thing called Marvel Knights yep. in the early two thousands, and uh, I don't know the backstory, but. Joe went on to run the whole show, and Jimmy's yeah. been mostly working in DC, right? Jimmy, uh, Jimmy does his own as a writer. Thing. Jimmy does his own thing mostly now. He's doing a lot of image comics he does as well. A lot of image. He does, Some Kickstarters, he does a lot of stuff. Yeah. So the hardest working man in comics. No, he's not hurting for very much. I mean, yeah, yeah. just his inking work has probably yeah. got to be. He doesn't but, ink that much anymore. I mean, he's he, he inks. He he's got lot. inking credits. Yeah, yeah, but he does a lot. I mean, the studio probably inks. Yeah, he, he takes all lot, the credit. He yeah. does a lot of writing now. But speaking of taking credit, I just, it kills me that Miracle Man does not credit Alan Moore. Enjoy the quirk of it. Enjoy enjoy that it, that is going to lead someone to just fully discovering Alan Moore, more so than just a credit there. So anyway, um, yes, you can read all the Supreme. It's on digital. Okay, I will do that. Or it's you like, can loan them to me. If you, oh, you don't own them. I actually own every issue, yeah. but they're in storage okay. somewhere. Uh I don't own the the last the last so the last one's supposed to be is like crowning achievement right of Supreme, but fucking Eric Larson drew it right. This was a script that was written. I like Eric Larson. Yeah, well, the script was written for Chris Sprouse. Okay, <laughs> who do you like better, Eric Larson or Chris Sprouse? Uh, it depends on what kind of comic it is. A beautifully drawn comic. <laughs> who, who do you like? This awesome I artist. I I I have a sweet tooth. Is the only way to describe it. For like Eric Larson, Savage Dragon, just ridiculous, so over the top, John Byrne meet Jack Kirby, so, like dynamism. So he, so I agree that Eric Larson, Eric Larson unleashed on Savage Dragon, his own creation in particular, has been quite a seminal creator. Oh, John Becker's calling. Let's taunt him. Taunt, taunt, taunt. Anyway, but I mean Eric Larson, just as an artist. I mean he hasn't been just an artist since. You know, Amazing Spider-Man back in 1992 or so, right? right? 1991 maybe, uh, prior to the Image launch, because he's been running Image for so many years. But in interviews, when this issue of Supreme came out, he's like, you know, Liefeld asked me to take this, and I'm going to run with it and everything. Which is weird, because they're both top seven guys at Image, and Liefeld... you know, getting Larson to 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 kind of do as as an illustrator, it's like this is not play to my to my strengths at all. Like Larson seems kind of the kind of guy who's just like completely unhinged. He's the kind of guy who breaks all the rules on the page, panel explosions, guys whose fists are bigger than their heads, right? Like, and then Alan Moore is the so. Uh, he said the script did not suit my illustrating strengths. All right, I'm gonna tell you a Rob Liefeld story. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever told it to you. You've never told me a Rob Liefeld story. I've never, okay. So this is... Is it about not drawing feet? No, no, no. Because <laughs> so, that could also be a Jay Lee story. So I was working uh, for Jim Hanley's Universe yep. around the time I got Discovered Magic. I was running there. Uh, I'd just been a brief foray into the field of public relations, which I hated, and began, came back into the hobby. It's like a girl's job. What's that, public relations? Yeah, yeah it, was, it was not for me. Uh, started doing marketing and events for... Oh, that's a boy's job. Jim Hanley's marketing. Universe. Sure. <laughs> Either uh, gender can do either job. And uh, I was running, and this is around the time of like image launch, and I was running all these big signings for them, organizing. So I had the Jim Lee signing. Is this when you got every person who shopped at, uh, at Jim Haynes University to buy Stray Bullets number one? Because that was really good. I did do that. Uh, but, you know, Wildcats number one, and we had a signing for Youngblood number one. Huge lines, like literally wrapped around the yep. block. So I'm sort of handling the event, you know, doing like all the PRE kind of stuff and 
handling Rob Liefeld, yeah. which I'm up at the back in the back of the store and talking to him. You know, he made sure. $22 million on that issue. Yeah, just making sure everything. <laughs> on that issue. Making sure everything. We must have done a million of it at Jim Hanley's yeah. that week. Uh, you know, just going going through all this stuff. And, uh, you know, it's like, he first of all, he's just like, oh, yeah, well, we're going to be publishing this, you know, new. we're going to be publishing uh, Dave Cochran's Futurians. I'm like, oh. I was actually the editor of Futurians yeah. when it first came out, and I published the second graphic novel collection. And he's like, you're hired. I'm like, what? And he's like, oh, you're hired. You could be the new editor for the Futurians. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, no thanks. Really? He, yeah. He's like, what? like, you know, he's like, do I have to move? And he's like, well, yeah. It's like, I'm like, no, I don't, I'm, I don't want to. Just- no. And he's like, what? And people are like online, like there's just people online getting there. Like you just turned down a job at Image Comics. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, whatever. So, uh, so signing goes on a little bit while, and again, you know, you talked about these guys hiring Alan Moore and hiring Neil Gaiman, and you know, they were just hiring people that they liked you know, as fanboys. Yeah, right? yeah. And so they had so much money. They had so much money they could just do anything. And and Liefeld was doing his wish list. Like he loved Cockrum, and sorry, and he's like, you know, who I would love to get back into comics. You know who I would love? I mean, just more than anything Dave to get back at Dave. Ma- he goes, Dave Mazzucchelli. He goes, ah, oh, I wish he still did comics. I'm like. Dave Mazzucchelli still does comics. He's like, no. I'm like, yeah. He still does. Like, he publishes his own comic. It's called Rubber Blanket. And he just put out the third issue, like, I don't know, maybe a month ago. He's like, we have a big stack of them over there. And he's like, stop the signing. <laughs> he's like, the story. <laughs> stop the signing. Somebody bring me a rubber blanket. <laughs> So the whole signing is stopped. People are waiting online in the sun for hours, you know, whatever. Bring me, somebody bring me a rubber blanket. Now, the thing about rubber blanket is, it is like the New Yorker. It's like very like, very like design focused and not very like, it's not superhero-y. It's really like kind of esoteric. Polyp, is that the name? I own it. Yeah, it's it's that that sort of style. Very like playing with paper texture and ink colors and, you know, and, uh, and so he's like, bring me a rubber blanket. So he brings, bring the, so brings him the book. It's this oversized giant comic. Yeah. You know, almost the size of a treasury edition, but like on this like really raw wood pulp. And he starts flipping through it. And he flips through it. And then he's like flipping furiously through it. And he just throws the comic on the ground and he goes, has he lost his fucking mind? <laughs> he wanted him to draw Daredevil punching bullseye. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's David Mazzucchelli's favorite Rob Liefeld story. <laughs> By the way, David Mazzucchelli could be a millionaire if he just drew Daredevil punching bullseye every month, right? Uh, yeah, pretty, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, he he does okay for himself, though. But I mean, like yeah, he gets to draw New Yorker covers, you know. Allred, Allred bought an island. <laughs> they paid good at the Marvel X books. Yeah, 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 yeah. He bought an island. Yeah. And he only drew X-Force, okay? <laughs> he didn't even know that was on the main book. Yeah. Uh, bought an island. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah, Joe in CBGB's probably does okay, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyway. I think that's... We, we talked for basketball for like five minutes. I mean, it was like a two-hour podcast. What do we have to talk about? Like LeBron James, the Cavs are going to be like the team out of the East. They're going to lose to the Spurs. Game over. It's going to be hard for me to be unhappy about that, though. <laughs> Do you think considering we, what your expectations were for next year I mean, without him? I mean, I thought the Cavs would be a playoff team. Sure. Right. I mean, like, like the middle bottom of the playoffs is no, not where you want to be. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, 
Trust Re me, I know. <laughs> realistic teams that could beat the Cavs, I think the Bulls, depending on how good Rose is. Like, Joakim Noah is really good. Pau is a question mark. He hasn't had real yeah, teammates yeah. in a long time. Um, he's obviously a Hall of Fame caliber player, but hasn't had a real teammate in three years. Uh, and he's already old, yeah. so. Um, by, the, by the way, I'm just going to call this right now. I'm just going to tell you, Knicks 50 wins next season. Really? I'm, I'm calling it. 5-0 wins. 5-0 wins. To be clear, you no longer have Tyson Chandler, right? Correct. So your prospective starting lineup is Jose Calderon, who's pretty good. Yep. Who do you have as shooting guard? Uh, so we have Calderon, J.R. Smith as our backcourt. So J.R. Smith will start? You think? I, I, believe, I think J.R. Smith is best when he starts because he shouldn't be your first scoring option. Like on the second team when he was first scoring option, he kind of got... But he has maybe, time to untie shoelaces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But it could be Shumpert. It's Shumpert or... Uh, JR. Or it could be Shane Larkin. People are raving. I don't know Shane Larkin. Shane Larkin was the 13th overall draft pick last year. I just don't know his game. Yeah, yeah. He's But he's been, he was hurt all last year, didn't play. He's playing, you know, now the Knicks got him in the Tyson Chandler trade. He's tearing up the summer league. People are raving about him. So your prospective team is, Calderon's excellent, but he's old. Excellent, <laughs> sure, but old. Sure, sure, sure. Um, JR Smith, who do you have in the middle? Uh, we have Samuel D'Alembert. Or Andrea Bargnani. <laughs> I was afraid of that answer. Or I forget the guy we just signed. We just signed some guy the other day. Jason Smith? I don't know. I think. I don't remember You have a 37-year-old Amari yeah, yeah, Stoudemire. Yeah. yeah, I'm Stoudemire. And then who's your small forward? Uh, Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony. That is not a 50-win team. Uh, Bonchon Bet. <laughs> Bonchon Bet. Bonchon Bet. I haven't <laughs> lost a Bonchon Bet yet. But this is not a 50-win team. 50 wins. Um, so my starting lineup is... Max you contract. can give me odds. You can give me two bonchons no, 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 for no. one bonchon. No, no, yeah, You already shook on <laughs> I bonchon. I shook on one bonchon. <laughs> so, let's see. Um, I, think there, I, think, I think, I also think that, A, Jackson has something else up his sleeve, and B, uh, Derek Fisher is going to be. Like, I think that the team last year, with a non-Mike Woodson coach, was capable of being in the playoffs. Two years ago, you were like, yeah, Mike Woodson, yeah. He checked All out, you would do is talk about how much you loved Mike Woodson two years out, ago. He checked out last year. He checked out last year. Because they did, wouldn't extend his contract. And did nothing. He was terrible last year. There was a marked difference. He did I'm just not saying, actively, when you guys fired D'Antoni, you were like, yeah, I love Mike Woodson. He did not actively participate in running the team last year. He just didn't. Why didn't they can him? I don't know. My team can't fucking everybody. <laughs> so who do I? We have Max Contract, Overpaid All-Star. Yeah. Kyrie Irving. And we might have Wiggins, we might have Waiter. Waiter's, Waiter's getting on. I, mean, I, think, I think Twitter and Bleach Report saying he's not going to come off the bench. Does he want to get traded? Maybe. Why would you not want to play on this team? Cavs, by the way, are, are, I mean, there's a, the East is actually, like, the East doesn't have any one dominant team, but there's a bunch of interesting Warriors teams. Warriors is an interesting team. No, no, I'm talking about the East. I'm not sorry, sorry. The uh, Wizards. Wizards, Wizards. Yeah, Paul Wiz Pierce is an interesting Wiz replacement Wizards, for, uh, Bulls is a really interesting team. I think Bulls will win more than 54 games. I think the, I, I think the Cavs are only about a 54-win team sure. right now based on not having Kevin Love. But if they had Kevin Love, they're obviously a 60-win. If, they, if, they, if they, they become the class of the of – the, well, they're the class anyway with LeBron, but they just become the Heat. They're already the Heat. They took Mike Miller and James Jones. I, I, my dad's like – sends me the text. He's like, who the fuck is James Jones? I'm like – Won the 2011 three-point shootout. You know, just LeBron needs a guy to play a small forward when he's on the bench. He's a 3 and D guy. Yeah. 30-something-year-old 3 and D guy. Yeah, but yeah. 
He's like, he's like better or worse than Danny Green. I'm like, worse. Like, ah, we shouldn't have let go of Danny Green. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so my dad decided season tickets to the Cavs for as long as I can remember. He did not re-up them this year. Like, not because he wasn't going to get them. just wasn't a big priority for him to go get them, right? He's like, oh, I'll go get them later. He's like, shit. <laughs> is, he, is he getting them? He can't. They're gone. They're gone. Oh. They were, he said, he said, as soon as LeBron, as soon as LeBron announced, he's like, shit, I didn't get my season tickets yet. And they were gone. Didn't you tell him? But you knew, you had the read. You, you knew two weeks out. Didn't you tell him? He's always had him. I assume, I talked to Peace all, he's like, oh, your dad probably got him in the playoffs. That's when you're supposed to re-up him, right? So I'm like, oh, he probably did. He's had him for as long as I can remember. Oh, no. Yeah. That's terrible. It's like, oh, well. <laughs> Oh. Guess I got a television set. <laughs> you imagine he's. You imagine sitting through all of these years of yep. like Antoine Jameson. Yep. And God, Baron Davis with season tickets, and then now that would be like sitting through a two-hour podcast. People are loving this every minute of it. Um. All right. Uh, I guess that was, that was good. we talked too much magic this podcast. I want to talk about more basketball. I enjoyed the magic. I'm excited that you're excited about uh, Necromancer Stockpile Timorat. That's cool. I, when, when you added the when you added the uh, Stockpile. No, I the, mean the, the, the enchant the, the death. Yeah, death pack. The grave pack. Grave pack thing. Oh, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a nice little. I mean, just three card combo, but well, but it's like it's this interesting like it's like a machinery. But you can also all those cards are pretty good. You can also themselves. you can also build it with like a, if you go black green with like, a touch of red, like you just incidental the red. Yeah. You could also get like the grizzly salvages and that kind of stuff in the deck, so that you see you you're you're getting your Timoret and your Jared into the yard. What do you think about that guy who's G three for the Lurgoyf that doesn't get bigger? He just gets counters. Yeah, maybe. No, well, I was thinking like mono green, strength from the fallen deck because you want to play strength of the fallen. Mm -hmm. So strength of the fallen. What strength of the fallen? No, you can't really put it in this deck. You don't have enough enchantments. But this, but the deck I'm going to say like has Eidolon of Blossoms, Corsair of Crufix, other strength from the fallens. So you have like not the reanimation part, but the milling. You can also put Font of Fertility in if you really. Well, need to. yeah. So the, my deck has that. But like all the milling of the deck, not the reanimation. Yeah. And you're just relying on playing uh, a nemesis of mortals that's big. Oh yeah, I think I think and, but then you have strength of the fallen, right? So like all of your late game top decks are very powerful. Right. Like I've attacked for like fifteen damage on the fourth turn before. We just have multiple strength of the fallen. Yeah, I, love to, I, th I mean I think there are actually a lot of uh, a lot of ways to go with standard right now. I don't know if any of them will Dethrone Mono Black. Mono Black. I don't, so I don't know if they'll dethrone Thoughtsees, Ravenous Rats, Pack Rat. I mean, not Ravenous Rats. Uh, pack Rat. Scavenging. What a Life Main Zombie and uh, Pack Rat. Who thought? I mean, who thought Mono Blue was going to come back? And then Reed came back with it. Almost won. Right. Just got a bad matchup in the finals. Yeah. Mono Blue stayed. No, nobody's. It, it stayed relevant. It's it's tumbleweeds in front of the Mono Blue's house for like three. No, months. it's it's. I mean, it was, it's been right there. I mean, it just hasn't it hasn't put up the gaudy numbers that Mono Black has, but it's been right there. But like in the beginning, it was always like six in the top right. eight. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you, you but that's get... and then people figured out that pack rat. You should play two more than two pack rats. Hey. Dude, Brian Braun doing had it at the first yeah, Grand Prix yeah. after after uh, Yamamoto played it. Yeah, he had four in the Grand Prix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So what what 
What deck would you play in FNM if you were inclined to play FNM? I would obviously play the Grave Pack deck. Yeah. Obviously. I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna go buy all the cards for Mono Green. I would I would also I would also consider playing a Genesis Sidra deck. I'm thinking here's my deck. Elvish Mystic, Yisan. I like Yisan. Yeah, people seem a little excited about Yisan. He's like a one card birthing pod. Huh? Well, he doesn't die like I, what, you imagine you're standing. You don't need to make any more land drops. That's a huge. Land not dying is a huge F. Okay, compare Yisan. Boom, you play Yisan, they play Pack Rat, okay? Who's ahead? Pack Rat. You think? Yes. So Pack Rat's 1 1, Yisan's 2 3. He th throws 3 mana to make 2 2 2s, yeah. okay? I tap Yisan and make Corsair Crucifix. You can't even attack, okay? Corsair Crucifix card advantage engine, right? Now I go, I tap only three mana again, okay? Now tapping four mana. They're gonna kick us out of here, so. My three mana to your three mana. Yeah. And I, and I get, and depending on your attack. I mean, I can just not attack, right? I can just sit back and sit on my rat. You certainly could. But your rat is going down cards, and my use hand is, so depending on your, if you don't attack, I'm getting Eidolon of Blossoms. Right. Okay? Okay. Oh, that's gross. Okay. <laughs> okay. If you do attack, I'm gonna get it like whatever. Do I have like a medium sized 4 4 or whatever? Yeah. Right? I'm getting that, right? I guess I have to start at 1. So, but I get like, obviously get like Deathrite Shaman and, yeah. and, uh, and Scavenging Ooze. By the way, my Scavenging Ooze is gonna be like staring at your pack ramp, like, are you sure you wanna do that? Okay? Right. Almost every movie you're making, you're like, oh, I have to remove these fucking creatures. Only, only Mono Black had a hero's downfall to kill your ease. But the thing is, He's already done his damage, right? He's getting some sweet guys. But he, he has to live. Like, they can ultimate price him. They can heroes downfall him. They can silence the believers. Like, the turn he comes down, they have a million ways to kill him. They have... They can just diabolic edict him. Just like, discarding cards. That's all you do. Once you have the rat in play, you're, you know the about, game plan. What about their underworld connections? No, he discarded it. <laughs> Go into the bin. Every one of those uh, cards... Like I, th I think the deck will, will will get a little weaker, obviously, once Rav rotates and oh, okay. and M fourteen. Let's rotates. say I don't get Idol on the Blossoms. Let's say all I get is uh, I don't know Polychronos, Nylea, God of the Hunt. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> Tap three, Nylea, untap. By the way, I like I like Nylea in the uh, in that Strength of the Fallen deck quite a bit. Or I have, this is I that deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like boom. Tap again. What am I getting at five? Something sweet. Can't get Nissa. If I can get Nissa, oh my god. You look at Nissa untap Nylea. Storm Breath Guided. Just go get one. Hey, you gotta get green. Arbor Colossus. Oh, get an Arbor Colossus. That's fine. Then untap uh, Colonian Twin Grove. I mean, like, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure if you don't you have my use and die. Wait, what's, what's the cost on Armada Worm? Six. Five or six? I think it's the same as playing yeah, okay. okay. If it's five, five for two six sixes? No, yeah, yeah, it's got to be six. I mean, six for two six sixes is pretty absurd. I have even forgotten if Modern Worm even existed until you reminded me when we were doing the podcast. Yeah, I mean, those cards compete, right? Yeah, yeah. But then I'm like, boom. What if, at, what if at three I get, I just get Hornet Nest? Hornet Nest is actually pretty sweet. Like, it, boom, Hornet Nest. That's pretty good against your, your rats, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like swing with rats? You gotta make your guys 3-3 three, three to fight my use, huh? That means I'm getting three hornets. I guess your deck has Bile Blight. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, maybe that's not that bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
All roads lead to some disgusting card. Yeah, fucking black is too good. <laughs> Never mind. It's just too good. So, like, if you don't know what to do, just game with black. Just don't listen to any of these nonsense ideas. I, 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 I do, I do. Madcap skills are sweet too, though. Yeah, I think the red deck. I, I, I actually, I actually do think that the, the green black deck has some game. We don't know. We don't. It, it's going to need to come out, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we, it needs to happen. But I'm saying, like, I think, I think, uh, lot of troll is pretty. Is, is pretty savage, and I think you can. I think you can do some nice stuff. Um, I agree. All right, all right, cool. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Brian. Later, later, later listeners.